0: Hello there, it's future Sean here, and just so you don't think we've completely lost what well, little of the plot we had left, just wanted to pop in and just let you know that this was recorded way before the recent batch of uh, shows that went out, so the is out, we talk about our long break and why we've been away for so long, and obviously that's not quite true because we have had quite a few shows come out recently, but yeah, just wanted to let you know so you don't think we've gone bad. Alright, take care and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the long-awaited episode 100 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean and here's Ronan.
1: Long-awaited on many, many fronts, Sean. Long-awaited both in fact we haven't had an episode out forever. And long-awaited because it's really our episode 115 or something along those lines. But before (laughs) any more ado... We have been missing for a few weeks. There are some reasons behind this, mostly all positive. But firstly and foremostly, congratulations to Natalie and Sean on the birth of your second son, Thomas.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Yes, he's uh, quite the trial so far. God bless
1: him. <laughs> Sean's first son was an angel sent from heaven, which I'm not sure he fully appreciated until Thomas turned up. No, no, I thought I thought he was quite
0: a difficult child, and then I realised what a difficult child is.
1: <laughs> difficult or just
0: constantly hungry? Uh, constantly hungry. He has like two modes: sleep and hungry. So pretty much like myself, daddy's boy. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so that is a large part of our hiatus. But if you listen previous this episode. You knew that we were planning ahead for that, and that there was uh, episodes in the works, and I was going to have guest uh, co-hosts on and do a solo episode, and all the rest of it. And that also went out the window, Sean. I got an unexpected chance to train for a, a promotion to cover up at work, which was an eight-week-long course, which was pretty intense. The last three fellas who went for it all failed it, so that took a hundred percent of my efforts over the last eight weeks and it it all turned up well in the end but the game pit has been the part of our lives to suffer from our uh, our busyness recently
0: yeah yeah and we've, we've also had a loss in the family so there's been running off to Ireland for that involved and yeah it's it's been a very very busy time and as we say we we don't do this for any sort of money. We do have full time jobs, and life sometimes takes over. So, we do apologize, it has been a bit of a longer hiatus than we intended, but we're back. We hope to stay back for a bit of while, on So,
1: in, in some sort of fashion, in some we sort need to work of out fashion. our lives to play some games before we can claim to really be back. Yeah, the game playing is disciplined I've been to LobsterCon in the interim to LobsterCon 15, had a great four days there, played a few games outside of that convention. The games are down to maybe one or two plays a week when I get a chance. It's uh, it hasn't been fantastic on that front, Sean. So we need to generate some content before we can uh, promise too many more episodes on the horizon.
0: Yeah, we've got a couple of episodes in the making. We do have some games that we had all set to review anyway from, from before I had the baby. We've also got the run-up to the UK Games Expo to prepare for, so lots of games there's going to be coming out there and demoing there, so it's a lot for us to maybe do a treasure hunt episode. And things, I think, are settling down for both of us now a little bit, so hopefully we will get back into the groove, so to speak.
1: And our uh, our big review of 2017.
0: And of course, our big review of 2017, run. Yeah, so I don't have to do too much prep for that either. So yeah, we have got a few episodes in the offing.
1: Hopefully, and maybe even some Pit Stop videos will start flowing again, because everything ground to a halt. But we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, that's not what you're here for today. You're here to listen to our episode 100, which is... Sean has been the creator of this episode, and he's put it together, so I'll let him introduce what sort of thing you're gonna be hearing over the next couple of hours. So no, that's
0: that's him firmly putting the blame on
1: me. Oh, there was a bus <laughs> coming and you had to go under <laughs> it. Where you
0: go? So <laughs> one of the things we did was we asked people to write in, email in whatever you with their questions. So we've got plenty of questions. We've also got a few clips from some gaming luminaries that you may or may not have heard of before. Just uh Give it a little sound bite for us. We're also just going to look back at our first episode and at some of the games that we've reviewed over the over the time, and generally our time doing the game pit, how we got into it, why we did it, etc. So it's just a, just
1: a pat on the back for us, really, and
0: probably probably look back and think, why did we do it?
1: The old pat on the back idea. That's why Sean's in charge of this one because you know. Anyway. <laughs> 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 Should we just crack on with this, Sean, and have our first guest give us a quite confused soundbite? Let's do that.
0: And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go to the Dice Tower Network and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean. And of course, we do have our YouTube channel where there will be some pit stop videos, I promise, in the near future.
2: Hey, uh, Pauline, what's uh, the next one I got to do? The next uh, recording?
3: Who? The Game Pit? Sean and Ronan? Yeah, all right, whatever. Let me just throw something out there. Okay, all right.
1: Hey, Sean, Ronan, (laughs) my best friends in the industry, you guys rock. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Major milestone. This is Stephen Bonacore, Stronghold Games. You know how much I love you. You guys are the best. Sean and Ronan, the Game Pit, 100 episodes. Congratulations, guys. Big time you're the best out there <laughs> yeah
3: well i'm sure they'll believe that one
1: <laughs> well that was a little bit too close to home for mr bonnacle there i yeah. don't know if any of you remember the episode in which it was me and him prior to Essen 2016 at the end of it he said oh that was loads of fun and and you'd done your homework You really knew a lot about our game and stuff i'm really impressed oh thanks Stephen. thanks a lot i think it went well you guys should apply to be on the dice tower network
4: yeah, we've
1: been on there for three and a half years, mate. But thanks for never hearing of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just the constant response we get when we talk to people. Wow, oh, oh, you, you guys, are, you're on the Dice Network, are you?
4: Really? Yeah. Well,
1: you know. Okay. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere oh, down the bottom. Stephen, that hurt a little bit, a little bit too much. Sean, take it away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think he
0: knows who we are. I think he does. <laughs> anyway, okay, so the first section here is all about our journey. It's how we started the Game Pit, why we started the Game Pit. And I think it boils down to Ronan that we talked for years after listening to various podcasts, and we would always sit there and just talk about, oh, I think we could do that. And there are some fantastic ones that i have just like, no, no, we can't, we can't, we never be that good. But there were some that we were like, yeah, I think we could do that.
1: Just name them. Just, just go for them. Name it. and shame. Be really negative. <laughs>
0: what was the one that Lloyd
1: used to be in? <laughs> <laughs> Society of Gamers. Yeah, we know them. We can say that. One. I think it started before that, Sean. I think you've known each other for 39 years. I'd probably start as soon as I could talk because we've just always, whether it be on the phone or sitting down on the couch or lounging around the place, watching music videos, putting the world to rights, we've always talk to each other for ages about stuff about rugby or football or films or tv or books or games when we got into them and in essence we were just talking a podcast in our own conversations between each other and i, th- I think that sort of inspired and he sort of went well, we talk to each other for hours on end anyway why don't we just record some of it preferably the better bits and the cleaner bits and and just put it out there and see what happens
0: so we, we didn't quite meet that aspiration to put the better bits out, but yeah,
1: they are the better bits of our conversation. They're not the better <laughs> bits of what can be found out there. So it was again, and this is that the second bus has come along after the first one. It was fully your idea, Sean. Well, what inspired you?
0: It was it was just that. It was listening to the likes of uh, Tom Vassel and Eric on the Dice Tower podcast and the Secret Cabal, and I'm just thinking these guys are just they're friends. They're chatting to each other like friends, they've got that sort of camaraderie, and like, I've got an idiot that I know that I'm very friendly with, so why don't we just, why don't we get together, see see what happens? Who
1: who was that idiot? Was he not available? No, he wasn't, so I chose you. Ah, oh, that was nice,
0: thanks. It was nice of you to step in, I mean, obviously not the first choice, but well done you. <laughs> and then it kind of dawned on us, I and like... How do we get this bad boy started? Like, how does it happen? How does it just materialize? We we started off with some very ropey equipment, didn't we?
1: Uh, well, we kind of said, let's get a couple of cheap headsets, like 10 or 15 quid each. Turned out that Audacity was free or great. And we'll put something out. And if we we started in the March... And we said, if we have 100 listeners by the end of the year, that'll be fantastic and, and we'll just carry on going. And that's grand for us. So we just started off cheap and cheerful with not a clue what we were doing. 12 hours editing that first episode for about 65 minutes of content.
0: Yeah, it's bad. You don't realise how much you actually say um and ah and er and e. When you're editing, it's like, well, why don't I notice this? How is this not noticeable in everyday life?
1: every podcaster's favorite before you start a sentence and then you do this and then i did that and then i about 300 times
0: (sighs) and then we got a bit anal about it and we really over edited for a little while and everything was like super and we
1: did this (laughs) I did, we didn't leave any breath pauses, no, no. So everything was talking about like that, we're we wiggle 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 Oh yeah are some interesting episodes floating around out there don't 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 bother looking for them
0: no no don't, especially not number two number two was the
1: worst that's your favorite thing to talk about is it?
0: it is my favorite thing to talk about when we applied to join the dice tower when i previously applied to join the dice tower
1: after we've been doing this for seven minutes yeah literally seven minutes it's got right
0: first podcast is about to drop let's apply to the dice tower <laughs> Tom was like, yeah, come back when you've got 10. How about that? Okay, Tom, yes. So, yeah, that first one. I remember you getting on Twitter, Rodan, and absolutely spending hours and hours following people, tweeting, and I think it actually bore fruit.
1: (laughs) i don't know why that made me laugh but bearing fruit (laughs) it was one of those where uh, gaming podcasting i know it's only a few years ago but it was a lot smaller back then i mean there was maybe 10 percent of the number of gaming podcasts there are now i mean the hobbies exploded so obviously the media coverage exploded i mean youtube coverage was very much nascent and it was a different landscape out there and there was, in my view anyway, less of a sort of media community which you could hook up with and make friends with. And, and especially in the UK, you know, we're in that funny position of being just outside Europe, very soon really outside Europe but anyway, and not in America. And it, it's hard to kind of link in everything all together. So we were just looking around at how do we build an audience, as much an audience as we can. And definitely sort of the social media was part of it. I took on Twitter. You took on Facebook. That's the third bus I throw you under. <laughs>
0: Do you mean that I linked your Twitter to Facebook? <laughs> and it washed your hands a bit. <laughs> and it walked away. You're the worst. So everything you were putting out on Twitter was just popping up on Facebook. <laughs> <And> be- <laughs> so, well, job done.
1: Thanks job for done. being Facebook champion. I hope everyone can hear the air quotes around that one. <laughs> But getting on the Dice Town Network was a huge thing. From As soon as we got on there back in the September of 2013 up to the present day and it, it does carry that cachet that people look at it and it, we, obviously we've got our email signature why wouldn't you have it there and people are like, Oh, you great and then they will actually listen to you and and people will go through the site and i don't know how much of an impact it has on our audience but i think it's pretty huge and even people that don't listen to dice tower anymore i mean, we know them and maybe because they wouldn't know us and they feel obliged to listen sometimes will say to us that they still listen and that's kind of nice that it, it generates people through the podcast for us, and not every podcast is for everyone. And we're definitely not the best podcast out there, but we're, we're good enough to have kept a few of you listening. And I think it's just—I guess what I'm trying to say is—it was a great opportunity for us. Thanks to Tom, thanks to everyone there, and and it opens up all sort of different things for us to do as well like meeting people being part of the network being on the booth at Essen or UK Games Expo and saying hello to lots of people and it was a very positive thing Sean so thank you very much for doing that
0: yeah I mean you're, you're talking there about it's kind of opening doors for listeners to join which is which it does and it is brilliant but I, yeah I felt like the publisher side it was the real noticeable factor of being part of the Dice Tower we went from kind of okay so I need to listen to your podcast a few times I need to see your download figures i need to see this i need to see that before we'll even do interviews or send you games for review etc but you you add that dice tower bit in and all of a sudden people are like okay yeah yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) have a game to review
1: yeah i sometimes wonder if they think we are the dice tower when we're saying it is the american (laughs) accents going too far
0: (laughs) i've got i've got a big red trilby hat that i wear around (laughs) (laughs)
1: what do i wear put on fake massive hands <laughs> okay so uh it's all been audio for many years and last autumn we uh, we jumped on an idea and uh, i get your idea again sean fourth bus of the day just going through of creating video content
0: oh my my one was a very vague idea right when we started he was just like oh maybe eventually we'll move into the video you world you pushed and-
1: it more than that you bought a few bits of equipment and
0: that wasn't what i had envisioned i i I just thought it'd be like us with that generic wall of games behind us doing reviews, very similar to to how Tom does his reviews, that kind of thing. That's what I envisaged. And then I thought, nobody really wants to look at our faces. And then you popped up with the Pit Stops, Ronan. So where was your inspiration for the Pit Stops?
1: It was... Uh, much as the inspiration actually for doing the podcast itself actually sort of going back to that for one second is that a lot of the board game podcasts back then were us based there was only a couple that were actually based in the uk which meant that sometimes i talk about games we couldn't get or we'd had for a long time it was hard to know what was on the uk market and also to try different formats and really what i wanted to do was be in a podcast that i would want to listen to and that very much went through to the idea for pit stops. Part of it was us getting a bit choked with our own success and getting the very, very fortunate opportunity to get given or discounted a lot of review copies, especially around Essen, because that's just a big thing that people know our podcast for, for the Essen coverage. So I was thinking, well, we cannot possibly do a full review in all of these. Uh, you know, as we talk about, we try and do lots of plays to review, and we'll get onto that later how we go about reviewing. What can we do to cover these games that people are being so kind to offer to us? And also, if we're doing it in video format, what niche in the market that I think wasn't being covered for, for what I want? And, and that was really what it was to it. And I find myself, unless it's a Kickstarter game, and even then sometimes not, just an overview of how the game plays. I don't necessarily want to spend half an hour an hour reading a rule book. I don't want someone telling me all the lore behind it. I don't necessarily need a talking head of the designer being charming. They're all great, but sometimes I just want to crack on. I'm, maybe I'm a bit impatient at working in life. I just want to right, show me in a few minutes what I do in this game and then what happens in the game so I can then decide whether I want to look into it or not and, and dig further. That was the inspiration for Pit Stops, the sort of video that I felt was missing for me when I want to look at games
0: yeah and I think it kind of comes into its own hopefully around those Essen times and the UK Games Expo Gen Con when you are trying to sniff out what games you want to be interested in and what games you just want to push to the side as something that you're not really going to head dart towards and so many times as Rona said you've got people doing run-throughs which are fantastic I love to watch a run-through but once I'm interested in the game I want to know something about the game I want to see reviews on that game but I want some something just to pique that interest and i think that's where the pit stops falling there are other videos that do a similar job but we've t- we've targeted that market and hopefully people have seen the worth of them and just before we get on to our questions ronan we talked about getting into the games but well, what's, what's your inspiration to actually not just do the podcast but just getting into gaming reviewing in any way shape or form
1: i just like to talk a lot fair enough that's that just... this is true this is true <laughs> and I'm not sure I put too much weight in my own opinions to be honest with you it, it was more I think for me less that I felt like my voice needs to be heard but more that it was something different to do and, and a challenge and to learn new skills and to, to uh, do something I haven't done before Right, and, and I think we both said it made us so much better at speaking in general, presenting in this new role I'm doing I have to hold conference calls and what have you and I don't stutter when I'm doing them and people say, you know, you do that, you, you talk, and it just flows. And I think that comes from five years of podcasting. being able to just sit down, here's my notes, right, I can just talk about it. That's not to say that God, like, I'm a, any sort of a, a standard of a, of a broadcaster or anything like that, but a bit better than I was before. And I just like to do different things. And it's more the process, Sean. And the fact that that thing got us in touch with other people, gives us a reason to play games, and just gives me something to do to focus my mind away from work is more about it rather than the fact that I felt desperately that I wanted to start reviewing games.
0: I think for me, it was that first year going to Western. I talk about it all the time. I bring it up all the time. But it was that first year going to Western and seeing the amount of people that were interested in gaming. And I kind of had in the back of my mind, I'd like to be a reviewer of something and, and something that I'm passionate about. And I've tried in the past when I was a kid, I used to write into the computer game magazines with reviews and always got mocked and told to go away. And... Yeah, just walking into Essen and seeing all these people interested in that one hobby are just overwhelmed me and then I started watching reviews and I started looking at YouTube videos and stuff and then obviously Tom being probably the biggest personality in in this whole wave of YouTube reviewers for gaming he kind of inspired me to a degree too. because I watched him I watched how natural he was on the camera I watched how he dived into the games his style and I just thought you know what I'd like to do something like that I don't think I'll ever be as good but I'd like to contribute in some way to to this hobby that I'm so passionate about so that's that's why I kind of thought yeah let's let's do this Roland. so
1: two different approaches it wouldn't be like us to agree on anything ever in terms of motivations and approach to <laughs> it, it so I'm glad we've kept that consistent anyway <laughs> right shall we crack on to our first set of questions Sean
0: yes Roland so we've got uh, some questions from Max Veen or Veenya and Max has gone to great lengths to send us a few questions, and they're all very deep and and thinky, but I'm going to really summarise here. So what Max would like to know is, Do internet reviewers play games enough to give a genuine recommendation? Now, he goes on to explain where he's coming from on this. But, Ronan, what's what's your take on that? Because it is the kind of question of the moment. There's a lot of people being called on whether they play things enough at the moment.
1: So I will say, in my opinion, in terms of an actual genuine recommendation and a review, in terms of if you buy this game, is it going to be worth your money? You're going to get lots of plays out of it not usually and that's just my experience that i think that there's a big rush to get out coverage off the latest game but it shows in the audience that that's what the audience wants so to me when i get a lot of reviews in i treat them as first impressions i mention a couple of podcasts that i do like that tend to uh, do more than just first impression for example heavy cardboard They'll tell you exactly how many times they've played the game and with what player counts and give you some thoughts. And what I like about some of their reviews is that they will say, I really like this in the first three games. However, after that, I started to get a couple of problems with it here and there. And that's how it worked for me. And that's what two of them say. Dukes of Dice, I know, that especially in the recent episodes, there's been a, maybe slightly fewer plays of games, but their general approach, when they had more time, and, and I hope things will settle down, when they've played the game a lot, I like their depth of coverage, because they will talk through and explain, oh, in three players it was this, in five players it was that, and I like to hear that, and then I can form my own opinions. A lot of stuff, like I say, I just treat as first impressions. Tom will tell you again and again that on the dice tower videos, they go for breadth and not depth. And they'll play a game a couple of times, maybe once. So, at least that's quite open. And the, if you're careful, or you have to be careful with how much money you spend on games or what have you, then Go for a breadth of reviews, and that's why I think having so many podcasters, so many video makers can only be a good thing. There are so many games coming out that one review can't cover it all. And that if something is interesting you, like maybe from a pit stop, hopefully then there's a few different opinions around for you to be able to jump on them. And it's an inspiration for some of our formats in that we do our end of year. We talked about we're doing 2017 soon or talking about games that are going to go into the vault that people have nominated or our top 50 or we might refer back to during reviews. That We try and give a bit of depth to the coverage. So we're not always reviewing the newest games. Sometimes they're really old games, but at least we're trying to get an angle on it. And that has always been our angle. And I think it means that i mean it's not the only reason but it probably does affect our listenership and viewership to some degree because we're not always the newest and the hottest and the game comes out on a thursday our review does not get posted on the monday our review will get posted two months after that when we've had a good chance to dig into it but i'm quite happy with where we see it and then our area and as long as you know where reviewers are coming from and what their background is and they're honest about how often they've played the game then i, th- I think that you will develop your own ability to, to make your own decisions on that
0: I hate you you've you've said everything i can't nothing i can add to that like
1: i, I was just it's gonna been say five that. years though it's been five years <laughs> yeah. you've just been going You yeah, agree <laughs> not always not always
0: <laughs> i think just games in themselves are like a lot of them are getting more and more complex and a lot of games nowadays they they're just not apparent like the depth of them is not apparent after one or two or three plays you've really got to dig into them i think that The reviewers, like the Secret Cabal, will say, listen, I've played this. I've played this once. I've played this twice. Even when they go back a year later to look at games that they reviewed, they'll they'll be honest about it. They'll say, you know what? I haven't touched that game
1: (laughs) since since that day. They will say... For ninety percent of them, the game's amazing, though.
0: <laughs> True, you know what you're getting. Like you that's the that thing. They're, they're they're very they're open. They wear the heart on their sleeve, and you know exactly what you're getting. As Ryan said, you know exactly what you're going to get with the heavy cardboard. You know they're going to delve into it. The long view. You know he's going to have to played that game about eight thousand times, so he knows it inside out. And for us, yeah, we. I don't think we're good enough to pick apart a game after one or two plays. I'm certainly not good enough. So one of us has to have played a game, I would say, at least four or five times before we even step into that review. The other one might not have played it at all, which is fine. Then we just try and get some questions together, that just things that we want to know about that game before we do play it. But in general, we do try to play everything at least four or five times there's sometimes that doesn't materialize just because we just don't have the time to play it but we've committed to doing that review but we will we'll state that so it's knowing the show that you're going to and making sure that they're honest and open about what they do
1: one of the things though that's interesting is that although we've always pushed to be in that niche one of the much more popular episodes we've done is myself and ellie covering those 14 games or whatever it was, doing very quick and saying, we've only played these games once, here's our quick thoughts. And lots of people going, oh, I love that. Can you do more of that? Do more of the thing that is not what we've set ourselves up to do.
0: <laughs> but you've been honest about it. It's it's exactly the same as when I did my Essen coverage. Literally played Lorenzo Magnifico once and a couple of the other games I covered just once in the hotel room. Quickly did a 30-minute, not even 30, a 15-minute podcast quickly running over what i said and people came back with comments and we don't often get (laughs) comments it's one of the things about internet reviewing you don't get a lot of comments you get a lot of views and you know the viewers are there but for that one particular people say yeah really great show really liked it really like the format but yeah so you're right so people do want something a little bit different sometimes so maybe we should mix it up a bit no,
1: no i don't
0: want to no, <laughs> no. What do you mean you enjoy that? No, you don't.
1: You can't have that. No, i give you what you want. <laughs> dare you? I'll very dare you. <laughs> Podcasting as I parent. Okay, the next question from Max is: What are our feelings about the number of games we get every year? He can remember when there's only half a dozen that came out a year, but these these days there are scores of high quality, well produced, great games. How can this be a bad thing? However, is oversaturation going to lead problems in the longer term? How are we going to go if we miss out on great games or they're not making it to market? This huge competition is it are affecting things and are we going to see the bubble burst or is gaming going to continue to grow? Sean, what do you think? So in general,
0: the collector and the manic game player and buyer in me it's like more games yeah it's a great thing keep them coming I think one of the reasons I'm happy happy and comfortable with that is that games don't come in exactly the same format so you know what ki- kind of game you like so then you can reduce these the search parameters so if you know you're like a thematic dungeon crawler then you there's your search parameters you know what you're looking for if you if you're a deep euro game there you know what you're looking for so you're condensing your searching i think one thing it does hamper is the kickstarter market ronan i think it's it's really hard for a simple good idea in kickstarter now to surface without a gimmick without plastic behind it and without looking absolutely fantastic and i'm sure there's loads of great games that just go straight under the radar because they just don't have the money or the resources to push loads of Miniatures into that, so that's the one area where loads of games and the the gimmicks in games is is not great. But I think limiting game production would actually be wrong because people's opinions vary.
1: Yeah, the, the effect of Kickstarter is interesting. I don't know if you listened to the interview on the Dice Tower a week or two ago with the guy from Colossal Games, and he was saying basically that games are splitting down the middle, and the most successful games either cost $30 and less or they cost $90 and above and and that's where we're going to where it's actually gonna be hard to get middle of the road games now for us being next to europe it's a bit easier that that's where a lot of euros come from they sit between those price brackets and that's where it's generated and they slowly drip out after the S and over into the u.s but in the u.s it's tended to be much cheaper games or much more expensive games in terms of how many games there are and i just thought that was an interesting point by the way i'm not sure it really links back to that question but it, as you were talking i was reminded of it <laughs> It's as if I go back to whether there are too many games or not. you can't read every book that comes out. you can't watch every film that comes out and you can't listen to every album that comes out. This is what a mature medium looks like in that you must pick and choose what you can uh enjoy that you're gonna have to rely more on reviews of games and reviewing games consumes more time than be able to review a film or or an album or even a book because once you've gone through it once the second time you go through it is much less likely to be a different experience than it is with a game with different people with a different player count that's not to say that every time you read a book you have the same experience but the, the amount of change is going to be different to it is in playing the game and generally in playing a game you need more than one person if i'm a film review i can go watch a film in the cinema come out write my review i'm done it's taking a few hours gaming tends to take longer so We're going to need to develop a media alongside this amount of games in order to support the audience, I think. And even when you do do that, you're going to get the different sorts of fits. You're going to get the AAA titles who have been reviewed by everyone and generate lots of hype. And the smart publishers are going to go down there and the ones that are big enough to do it. And they're going to get their rule books out early and they're going to engage with media. And you're going to get indie hits and stuff like that, which come out and get buzz and word of mouth. The thing that we find in our industry more than other industries is that rather than that then that small company having that game, because it costs so much money in initial investment, big publishers tend to pick up their small games and then publish them and then they look like big hits. But in reality, they're indie hits. Terraforming Mars really is an indie hit. It's from a tiny, tiny Swedish publisher. It happens to have been picked up by Stronghold Games and become massive. But I'm still going to stick its, to its indie roots. So it's just a maturation of our hobby and I think that the the strong will will survive and the weak will fall away and we'll see publishers come in and going and as we see at the moment you'll see publishers starting up their second companies third companies fourth companies as as they've bought up because you can't control creativity and the good designers and the good publishers are always going to come back again they might sell on the name of a company and go and start another one and we're going to see constant innovation and i can see it still growing for a while and i think not so much that the growth is going to continue at this rate but then once we get to a certain size everything will start to settle down and we'll get into a format where the good games will come your way we're still affected by the fact that we're still relatively close to that time when there were only 30 games coming out a year. that's That's gone. It's never going to happen again, or not for a long time. You still buy the same amount of games. It's how you do that buying and how you get the news of what you want to buy that's going to change. And that's why I see it really developing. Very good. Very good. Very insightful, Mr Rice. I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> okay, so last question for this section. Max asks, are plastic miniatures a good thing in board gaming today. He goes on to say that he actually plays lots of mini games. He, like, he's like he got the 40K, Ninth Age Infinity, and he really enjoys the painting aspect of it, but he's saying that that's enough for him. And in actual board gaming, he'd, he'd actually much rather see a, a colourful standee or decent product. So, minis, Rodan, again, it's another hot topic that
1: kind of divides the gaming world. Where do you stand on it? Firmly not fussed either way to be honest with you I'm, I'm much more interested in the mechanisms and definitely now i feel like my backing we tend to see more mini based games right coming from kickstarter we'll refer back to that again or fire some crowdfunding i am much slowing down here on backing mini games on kickstarter because i'm looking at mechanisms i've got lots of toys i like them of course they're fun i love it when you get out massive you know mythic battles of course i love playing with those, those cool minis however it's the game system that i really love about that game so that's where i'm coming from with it really that i'm not that fast standees work really well in legends of and which i really like they work very well in gloomhaven i would never paint that number of monsters as you get in gloomhaven we'd never have got that massive a game with, with minis in or it certainly would have cost three times the amount so i'm perfectly happy for it to be standees Uh, sometimes minis are great you know i backed batman because it was batman and i wanted all those toys as well so i I, i'm kind of in the middle but a clever system way above whether it's minis or standees so i was
0: always the bling a champion for for this podcast and there was a time i think very recently probably where and minis were almost a must for me. I was at the forefront of the clamour for minis in everything. Minis are better, but they're actually on the decline for me now. I think a, a good meeple or a standees in City of Kings, which I've recently been playing, Gloomhaven. I think they just they look just as so good, if not better, uh, because. As Ronan said, you can't paint them all. And my, my standard of painting just looks like someone's vomited some paint on, on them anyway. So they're obviously going to look better than I can produce. So, yeah, I th- I'm, I'm starting to to come across to the side of the, the good standy. Obviously, there are going to be the exceptions. Ronan mentioned Mythic Battles, and I, I would uh, throw Lords of Hellas into that mix. It just looks amazing. But... The, the minis are actually functional in that, in that you can build up the statues. So I'm not sure how that would work with cardboard or, or standees. So I think there, there are always going to be exceptions. I'm always going to have my eye turned towards the the, the prettier or the more extravagant miniatures. But yeah, I'm, I'm starting to go your way, Max. I'm starting to think in, in those circles that standees are
1: the better option. Okay, Sean, sure, cool. So We are going to hear from another guest and then we're going to be back to take a look back at our very first episode.
2: Hi guys, Chris Marling here, writer of the Go Play Listen blog, co-designer of Armageddon, Empire Engine and now Pioneer Days and occasional Pit Dweller. I've managed to get myself on two different board gaming podcasts over recent years and the game pit is comfortably my second favourite of the two. That said, the other one, Board Games To Go, is actually my favourite podcast about anything, including board gaming. And I think yours now is my second favourite board game podcast. Uh, nothing to do with me contributing to it, I just thoroughly enjoy it. Essentially, I think you guys as my number twos. I'm one of the, I'm sure, millions of people that have listened to all of your episodes. Um, I think I probably started around episode 20, and have even worked my way back through the older ones. Um... I like doing that with a new podcast because it's always nice to hear how amateur podcasts start out rough, ready, unprofessional, and sort slowly become this well-oiled machine. Um, but I'm a patient man, so I'm sure that if you guys stick with it, that's what you'll become too. But no, what what I most like about the podcast is is your contrasting opinions, the unforced banter. And you know, that's something that quite a few other board gaming podcasts that I've listened to have lost over the years for various reasons. You know, they've they've drawn together more or they've kind of changed who's on them and that has ruined it. But I can't see that happening with you guys because I'm totally convinced if either of you disappeared to become, I don't know, an underwear model or something, one of your better halves would just drop straight into the second seat and make whoever was left look like a total fool. Um, it's been great to hear the show become more of a group effort as well and, you know, bringing your family and your friends and stuff in. And despite all of that, it's never lost its niggly, niggly playfulness. So congratulations on 100 episodes and long may they continue. And also, good job on getting this podcast totally out of sequence in terms of numbering. A fitting homage to the escheresque podcast numbering system from your early days. Bravo.
0: Okay, so... That was our, our good friend, Mr. Chris Marling. And I think he just likened us to poo-poo, Ronan.
1: I'm, I'm not going to repeat that industrial language. It's shocking. <laughs> Th- thanks, Chris.
0: Yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew the better halves were going to get a mention there, as, as they tend to do, Natalie and Eleanor coming in and just showing us up.
1: Can we just clarify that Eleanor's my daughter, not my other half? True. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> That was the sound of the police there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel's been on in a, in the Virgin Queen episode. And she has, yes. She is due to be on soon if ever we get to play games again because she's doing a two-player special with me while you have baby things.
0: Awesome, and I think we've got to hold our hand up that the numbering system was ridiculous. So.
1: I, I still like that numbering system. Do you, do you still like it? The public clamoured for it to go, but <laughs> I, I still think it made a list. It was your idea, to be fair. Yeah, I'm bowing to the public pressure here. Anyway, I'll tell you an episode that was no problem to number, Sean. <laughs> well, what one was it, Rodan? Go on, tell us. It was one. You kind of gave that away in the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. Mm. Anyway episode one if if ever i was to sum it up in one word i think i'd go with over edited laborious oh nice. <laughs> uh, i i won't listen to it did you
0: i did i did and... go back and listen to it and, and i know you hate it when i say it it's better than number two
1: there we go the second mention of episode two i'm keeping count honestly if you want to laugh go listen to episode
0: 2 see a bump it's not available
1: (laughs) you know it's not available for very good reasons now episode 1 we started as we were meant to go on and our sound still isn't perfect but it's a bit better than it was then yes Yes. Um, I, I, I experimented with the you left ear, me right ear system for a while there.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> and it wasn't this one, Ronan, but you know when you were talking about the editing, it reminds me of... Do you remember when we did Belfort's? Belfort's, yes. Belfort's. Do you remember the trouble you went to editing that... 10-second intro music for it.
1: That's not my favourite one. My favourite one was Carson City. But yeah, <laughs> I, I did about two episodes of putting together all sound clips into some sort of funny intro for each game. Like Carson City is supposed to be the start of a bar fight and there's a dolphin at the end of it because clearly that's funny.
0: And this one was like dwarves whistling, I remember. I remember wood being cut. yeah and chains being rattled
1: that might be the best 10 seconds that we've ever had on the podcast and it only took me three and a half hours to put together
0: literally what i was about to say it only took you three hours to put together
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it mm. <laughs> well done yeah. you that that habit soon soon went and <laughs> sound issue sean i know we always get told off enough and perfect sound it's one of those things where we record as and when we can sometimes on the fly quite often i literally have got my headphones plugged into an ipad in a room i can find to record just because of the nature of our work and kids and all the rest of it so no we, we're not a professional sometimes especially back earlier we didn't sound that professional we didn't have the best equipment we still don't have the best equipment but you know, uh, we, we do our best. Our sound's got a bit better.
0: Speak for yourself, buddy. I've just upgraded to a blue Yeti.
1: And what about your microphone? Hey! Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know how to use it. This is true. So my, my sound probably is still rubbish. But I've got a good piece of equipment, finally oh that's good for for this
1: episode yeah I've got some sort of nascent plan to turn half the bedroom into a recording studio it hasn't fully been approved I'd have to say by the planning commission but um, I think our sound will slowly improve as we slowly get better
0: I think it has I think people that would have no qualms with telling us we're idiots have come up to us and actually said you know what it's a hundred times better and it's better than some other podcasts that are out there now so I think we did spend a few quid eventually on some pretty decent headsets and now obviously i've got the the yeti and i think we're getting there ronan we're getting there
1: as i tell you what drives me crazy i will throw another podcast under the bus but it's not a gaming one there's an nfl podcast done by sky sports and nfl two massive companies and they do it at the end of a phone and it sounds like it's recorded on a mobile phone half the time and they don't even balance the sound levels it drives me crazy you've got to turn it right up for one of them to talk then the next one comes in and your eardrums get blown out so we're better than some professional podcasts but but worse than most podcasts we'd have to say anyway the content itself of episode one sean we were going to look back at the six games we reviewed and say how they've stood up to the test of time
0: we were ronan. okay so the first of the six ronan was stone age how is stone age holding up for you now because I think even back then it was kind of on the wane for you.
1: It was because I would played it a lot and, mm. and it sticks that way. Good medium weight Euro. I've played it probably three times in the last five years and I'm perfectly happy with that player count. I can't remember if it was prior to that review or since it that I played it in a, a sort of Euro competition. And it was a great game of Stone Age because all of us knew it very, very well. And it was very high scoring and we're all very close. And I came third out of four, but never mind. That's better than fourth. And so really good, solid game. If you've never played it, if you missed it, you can just hobby later than that. Really well worth a go. It's slightly different. There's a bit of luck in there. You're assigning workers to areas. You have to roll dice to see how well you do. But it's certainly mitigated luck. And, And there's different paths to victory. And a, a good starting out Euro game, Sean, which is still very solid, but slightly played out for
0: me. Yeah, it was certainly one of my starting out Euro games, which is probably why it remains in my collection. I think it's probably a one a year, maybe even once every 18 month game for me, but I... I I don't play a lot of games on apps, but it's actually one of the ones I do play and enjoy on the app. And I play the app quite a few times. So I suppose I play Stone Age a few times a year, but the board game itself, not so much. But it's one of the games that got me back involved in board gaming and certainly one of the first worker placements I played. So yeah, Stone Age, always a place in my heart.
1: So, second game, Sean, another sort of dice assignment game to do actions is Alien Frontiers, one of the very first Kickstarter games that was a success. I remember chasing it down initially on Kickstarter. Any thoughts?
0: I'm still very much a fan of Alien Frontiers. I do play it quite often. I quite like the expansions. I thought some of the aspects of the expansions brought some nice things to it and added to it. Some of it's a bit, a bit tedious, but Yeah. Alien Frontier is still very much at the forefront of my gaming collection, Man,
1: Another one that's a good game, that slightly faded over time with 20-plus plays. Certainly, the expansion brought more players than four, which is an absolute crippling amount of downtime. Never played more than four players. And actually, I think the expansions are absolute rubbish. So I would just go for the base game every time. Even though it's faded a bit, what the expansions added for me was not better play it was just more boring play so uh alien frontiers good game if you ever were to play it 20 plus times it might start fading it did for me okay so i think
0: we're on fairly solid ground with d-day dice ronin the second edition has just come out you've done a pit stop for that so it's it's fresh in the memory and it's certainly a game that i still really enjoy it's it's one of my favorite cooperative games out there and remains so so that yeah definitely a fan of d-day dice still
1: yeah one of our first decent looking pit stops where i got the lighting sorted out it's got over four thousand views because it was on the kickstarter page still a very good game itself and i'm very much looking forward to the second edition looks like they're tying up a few bits and bobs some extra content so yeah very good game d-day dice very happy with.
0: okay so milestones ronan is the next one on the list and yeah i've forgotten it how
1: about you Oh, well, I wrote forgettable. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> it was Stronghold when they first trying to get into a bit of Euro uh, area. And there was a rondelle thingy going on where you moved around and you collected resources. And there was a map where you built routes and it gave you access to different things. It was perfectly okay. But as you've alluded to, forgettable.
0: Yeah, I played it. A couple of times with you around that time to do the review never played it again and completely had forgotten about it until it came up in this episode so yeah it really didn't stay in the mind
1: yeah i, I put it up for review because i played it and i went oh i feel like there's something to this i'll play it a few more times and it'll develop and it completely plateaued from oh, i think there's something i think there's something i think oh there is nothing no it's just it's just okay fine and it is just okay from the okay to the sublime Sean, yeedo.
0: Right, I'm going to upset you now. No, don't do it. Don't do it. I don't think because when we first did this review I hadn't played it at this stage I'd seen it being played I hadn't actually played a full game through myself and you were so excited about it and even to this day you love this game I know you do I'm not spoiling it for anyone and I expected fireworks and they didn't quite happen it didn't have the promised magic for me I found it a little bit frustrating I owned it on the back of your wonder for it and I've just literally this week sold it I've packaged it off and sold it and hopefully to to a home that will enjoy it because it is a good game there's
1: a good game there just not for me this is one of the uh, barriers we have between us we do agree on some aspects in games <laughs> and we <very> much disagree on <laughs> on other aspects of games and it's not just specifically on yido it's a lot of things to do with tightness and frustration and obstacles getting put in your path and having to think your way around them And sometimes them coming out of nowhere and you having to react what's done you much more would prefer to have a plan and have an engine and run it and know exactly what direction you're going in and it's yeah. just we've got two different tastes on games.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You love the take that aspect, don't you? You love that, right? Have it's some of that. It's not even
1: take that. It's not really in Yido. It's not, I mean, there is a, there is a little. There, bit. It are, there is. People
0: can just slap things down and go, ha ha.
1: There is a bit. There's a few action <laughs> cards. But a lot more of the obstacle comes from people just vying for spaces. True, true. Yeah. And, and you sort of weighing up the risk. If I don't take it now, will it still be available next time it comes around to me? And, and that, I think, is just a part of tight gameplay. So you're right. Take that's there, but also the tight gameplay's there. I enjoy, in general, tight gameplay more than you do. Yeah, I'd be more Agricola, I think you'd be more Caverna, I'd be more Tigers and Euphrates, you might agree, uh, Yankee more, I don't know, maybe, along those sort of lines. So, you I really like the tightness and the meanness and the fact that it keeps keeps punching you in your groin.
0: <laughs> You're not wrong, you are wrong about Tigers and Euphrates, I love Tigers and Euphrates. But uh, and the last game is one for Ronan to tee off, it's League of Six, Ronan, off you go. It's still rubbish.
1: (laughs) Utter, utter rubbish. The designer hates it so much he didn't give the goods names. The name of the goods are literally red, green, blue, and yellow. That's how much he doesn't like his own game. It's rubbish.
0: It's not rubbish. It is.
1: Admittedly...
0: It's not as good as I remembered it. I played when I played it recently. It's not as good as I remember it at all. I think it opened my eyes to certain aspects of gaming, and it's a, it's another one that stays in the collection just because it's it was one of the first games I played when i was getting back in the hobby. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. it's not the best game, but still holds a place in my heart.
1: Just recycle it. I'd feel happier <laughs> thinking those bits got made it into something else useful. Okay. Those were the six games we covered in Episode 1, Sean, and we're going to go on to a few more questions sent in, this time from the mercurial, mysterious gaming meister that is Paul A.
0: Whoa. And Paul A's first question is, what's the worst, most embarrassing mistake you've made when reviewing
1: a game? So I did think through this, and the worst mistake I made over the course of the podcast, I think wasn't actually in a review. It was when we're doing our end of game roundup and we look forward to games coming out in the next 12 months. And what was I most excited about? And, the game i was really revving up towards it was the next game out from the people who made sentinels the multiverse greater than games it was a sci-fi co-op in which you were supposed to be a band of of sort of space pirates fighting together having to band together against a big huge threat and uh, it was threatening the galaxy and it was galactic strike force and i said this is a cast iron guaranteed great company have already made a complex co-op that works incredibly well with a fantastic theme it's this horrific game got no wrong oh oh it's oh. the worst oh man oh do you know what I'm, I'm so sorry i ever made you play that game
0: oh my god it's bad i bought it before we played it because i was so sure you were right just
1: terrible just it, you could very easily get in an endless loop the base app was unlosable but to win it took four or five hours while you slowly ground through the things in front of you it it wasn't play tested the combinations didn't work it wasn't fun it was one of the worst games that's ever gone to production that i have ever had the misfortune to play galactic strike force that is my worst most embarrassing mistake all rolled into one
0: (laughs) Sean, you? I'm going to be quite boring, Ronan, because most of mine are things that you save me from doing. Because Ronan, unlike me, the opposite way, Ronan actually listens to what I say when I'm saying it and actually comes <laughs> in and says, like, you've really messed that one up. And just silly little things like calling plaid hat, plaid hat and stuff like that. And he'd be like, no, it's plaid hat, you clown. And there's stuff like that. And I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll start that again and it's just that's, I make I, I've got so many mistakes every episode and editing is the friend of a good podcaster as well <laughs> it's the rubbish that gets spoken and the mistakes that I made that I edited out oh.
1: it really needs editing because when I listen back to myself the number of times I tell Sean off and about 50% of them he's made a mistake and about 50% of the time I've just clearly been listening to the voices in my head and he hasn't said what I think he said at all
0: uh, it's it's very, very annoying. When I'm doing a bit of editing, I'm sitting probably at work, wasting my time at work, and I'm there, and all of a sudden, they'll be like, No, no, you idiot, what, what have you said that for? And then I'll be, I'll be going, Oh, but I didn't do it, I swear, I, I could swear I didn't do it, and I'll listen back, and I didn't do it.
1: <laughs> and he made me start again. Sometimes I throw them in just because it makes me laugh. Like, oh, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely said that. <laughs> You're a hateful person. (laughs) It's not making me laugh. I've got a cough. You're right, what's the next question, Sean? I'm going to think i something to annoy you with now.
0: So if I come back and I sound slightly irate, it's because he's done it again. Okay, so games you wish you could review,
1: but can't. So for this one, it's nothing new. It's the number one game in Board Game Geek, Gloomhaven. In order to give Gloomhaven a proper review, I mean, I feel like I'd have to be discussing the tactics of each of the different characters all of them in combo in the different scenarios review the options you've got for how you build each deck as you go through the levels um, there is not a podcast episode there is a entire podcast in itself in gloomhaven when well, we've got the community driven campaign getting created now it's on to its ninth scenario with just an incredible amount of content is coming out constantly for it and the best description i've had of gloomhaven if you've never played it, if, if you have not, is Sam Hoffman said, it's like the X-Men playing together. That I might be playing as Wolverine and Sean might be playing as Colossus. And you can play that I'm Wolverine doing my things with the claws and he's Colossus doing his thing with his metal body. But once Colossus and Wolverine work out that if Colossus picks out Wolverine and throws him and then he does this and Wolverine bounces off and comes back, we are better together it's those combos between the characters that is the real genius in how to play Gloomhaven. And to be able to do all that and get all the depth and review it all fully, I just don't feel like I could do it justice and call it a full, proper review. So I'm not ever going to bother attempting to, but, as you can tell by what I'm saying, it's going to get a mention in the review of 2017 for sure.
0: Yeah, we did do a very brief overview, like just after the first uh, three or four plays that myself and Natalie had done. Again, talking about bad sound quality, that was another one of our our That was a table efforts. mic. <laughs> that was a <yeah>, table <laughs> mic effort. Didn't wow! Wow! Quite wow! Work wow, out. <laughs> wow! Hello! Wow! Wow, <laughs> wow! But yeah, there is a, a, an overview of it out there for me. So I went at this from two angles. So the game that's around that I really want to play and review is Food Chain Magnate. Now, that's just because it just sounds so cool. It sounds like so in-depth. sounds like an experience. So many people think it's just the ultimate board game. I, I want. I want me some of that.
1: You know that we've talked Steve Paget into buying that, don't
0: you? Yeah, I know he's played it once, and yeah, he he said he just couldn't get his head around it at all. But I, I, as I said to him at the time, you've got to play it about ten times before you even start. So he's gonna he's gonna persevere. I think. I think he liked the tickle that he had first. So that's Food Chain Magnet and I agree I really want to play that by the way I haven't played cool. it either second one the other one is a game that doesn't exist I'm a big Green Lantern fan I've always thought that a game about the Green Lantern core would be really interesting It would kind of like a, a space police game where you're going to solve various crimes around different quadrants and, and different characters have different powers. Not quite a dungeon crawl, more like, I don't know, Police precinct the style type of game. Where oh, you, why would you curse crimes. any
1: game by referring to that?
0: <laughs> I wasn't that bad. It, rubbish. It, was, it could have been better.
1: Have you looked at the police game that's on Kickstarter right now, based on Street Masters, Brook City or something, is it? Brook City,
0: that's right, yeah. Something like that. Of course I've looked at it. Yeah, uh, And you're
1: sniffing? I'm sniffing, I'm sniffing. Well, let me know and I'll cancel my pledge. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry.
0: Anyway, yeah, so something along those lines, like a police game, but set in space with the Green Lantern theme attached onto it. That's my second answer.
1: Yeah, I'm not that fussed by that theme. You'd have to sell that game to me, I'd have to say. I don't care about you. It's for me. You don't care about me at all? No. just in this? (laughs) At all, obviously. You lied many times to me. That's (laughs) certain moments in time most baffling or selfish decisions sean you have seen in co-ops
0: so this is only a problem if the group allows it so you have to get into the right group but it's people wanting to get all the glory in games and do all the tasks like the alpha not not even an alpha player just someone said my characters can do this so i'm gonna go and do bosh 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 and then leave nobody everyone else thinking well There's not really a lot for me to do. This is the person who wanders off in the dungeon crawler. I'm going to to go and fight over here, and I'm going to do all of my own because I'm super strong and I've collected all these weapons. That irritates me, and I think it's a very selfish thing to do. Okay.
1: People who don't communicate during co-ops, who play solo, and then complain about the system and say, oh, that system's rubbish well you haven't played it so how can you possibly say you've played a solo game amongst other people you have to have to play as a team you need to talk and bounce off each other you need to not be too serious and support funny or character driven decisions whereby you go, i'm going to do this because you know that might be funny i think in terms of a specific and i'm sorry to refer to it twice and two but we played Gloomhaven the other day we played one of the side quests that you can discover where we had to go and do something with a well which is a about the fourth room along I think and it looked pretty dire for us about two-thirds of the way through and suddenly a, a plan we didn't even discuss it it kind of came out of what we were doing and Rachel just ran off to uncover the rest of the map because we had uncovered two of the rooms and she was like well, at least we'll see what's coming because I'm very low on health I'm gonna die anyway so let me go and uncover it which she did great then we worked out that because I'm playing a sort of healer tinkerer that uh Jacob could get the thing we needed and make it all the way in his movements i then had to sacrifice myself and throw all my heels towards jacob to get him past the big monsters that were guarding it so he could get in the final room and have a chance of killing the final guardians and get the thing in the well and us to win the scenario now that is exactly what happened and as it happened he got past the guardian one guardian came out because rachel had uncovered it so early he managed to get past the second guardian and do it and we won the scenario during this whole time that we played this scenario, probably two hours long, Puriya never left the first half of the first room. For whatever we said as a team, he was like, oh, right. Yeah, great. Okay, we're going to do that. Great. And then however he played his cards, he's like, oh, right. Uh, so, so are you moving? No, no. I'm just going to do here and shoot this. Okay. <laughs> next turn. Next turn. He never left the first half of the first room. And he wasn't being selfish. And he was kind of helping out a bit. But I was completely baffled at the end of it. How we won? Carrying him, <laughs> just, just, I don't know. But playing anything with Puria is quite is quite baffling, as we're going to find out from the next question. Yeah, well, not so
0: much a question, just more of a memory <laughs> that Paul had of an episode after I think it was after Essendor, or end of year episode when Puria was describing how many clothes and specifically how many pairs of pants he could get into the nation's box because yeah, there wasn't a lot in that huge nation's box, and Puria went. Quite descriptive in explaining how much space.
1: At any time, you've only ever got a maximum of 30% of Puria's attention, no matter what you're doing. <laughs> Life or death situation, he's still 30% in the room. So uh, that was one of the more unique moments in the history of the game pit. puria's description of pants in a nation's box. Ooh. He's a worry, that boy.
0: in a way but it's, it, was a, it was a good shout, because there was a lot of space in there, and he actually did put his clothes in there to trip. To traffic at home, say. So. Traffic. Traffic here.
1: Yes. at home. word. we are getting <laughs> investigated <Okay. laughs> Shall we have a message from one of my true inspirations when we were first starting out in the game pit, Sean? Yes, we shall.
4: Hello, Sean and Ronan, and congratulations on bringing the game pit to episode 100. That's fantastic. Uh, this is Mark Johnson from the Board Games to Go podcast, and now War Games to Go. I do both of those. And uh, I want to offer my congratulations to you guys for your podcast for chugging along as it's been doing. Um, and uh, I really have enjoyed listening to you from from the beginning, I think. And uh, what I like the most is the rapport between the two of you. I think that's just clearly the best part of the show. Uh, not always your opinions, because sometimes your opinions are flat out wrong. I know when you guys had me on the show, I think I only got to speak with Ronan that time. And when I had moved abroad for a year. I was in France across the channel from you guys. I thought we were going to get a chance to meet in person at Essen or maybe UK Games Expo, but then you didn't go to Essen. I didn't go to UK Games Expo and um, and then so we didn't get to meet in person, but I was able to be on your show and I really enjoyed that. And what I like is that you guys have distinct opinions. Like I said, even when I think those opinions are wrong, you express those opinions, you argue with each other, you do so in a in a lighthearted way that shows that you're really friends and it gives your podcast. Uh, a special quality that I think is really endearing. So congrats again on reaching 100. Hope you make it another 100 more. Thanks.
1: Well, Sean, I mentioned it beforehand, but Mark Johnson was definitely one of those podcasters I listened to for years before we ever started podcasting. He's been around for a long time. And that episode I got to do with him on Shorter Games was one of the absolute highlights for me of doing the game pit just to think that i was sharing airtime with someone i've listened to for so long and it's such a Ah, it's a stalwart, complimentary enough, a stalwart of uh, board gaming podcasting. So thank you very much, Mark, for your kind words. And thank you for always being a supporter of the podcast because he, he does chat to us a bit here and there, and he always supports us on Twitter. And, and I, just, I appreciate it a lot. It means a lot to me.
0: When are you proposing? You ain't got to be like
1: that. <laughs> I would, though. But he's just, married. You're making me jealous now, aren't you? You're just doing it I, deliberately. He's just, he's, I'm jealous. He's married. So... I don't why you had to bring that up on air and have to well, I'm supposed to be a celebration. That's it,
0: man. Okay, so moving swiftly on.
1: Well, maybe. We have maybe it's all over.
0: Some questions again from the, the wonderful Paul A. And he asks, how have your gaming tastes
1: changed? So, with covering games on the podcast, we're forced to try new games all the time that was something that i really loved to do before i podcasted i was always new games try something new i was new to the hobbies you tend to do that anyway and you're trying to discover what your tastes are and take them all in i I guess i I refer back to reading when you're a teenager or a young adult you tend to read loads of different stuff to to kind of get a grounding what you're doing that means that in my own time when I want a game now I'll be much more likely to want to play old favorites and play the same games again and again and again and my my collection is centering itself around some of these games that I always like to play and definitely definitely how my tastes have changed that i used to get excited to get a new game and get it out get the bits out and i'd always play a practice game like four-handed me against me against me against me to learn the rules so that i knew how to teach it well and that i could present it properly and i felt like i was giving everyone the best chance possible to enjoy their first game of a game having had to learn so many rules for doing the uh, pit stops now please please you teach me games uh, just, just, I don't ever want to have to teach games mostly because I keep forgetting the rules because I learn them I do the pit stops and then I'm learning rules so quickly again that no game rules are sticking in my head so that's definitely the biggest change now is I don't ever want to be the person teaching games anymore.
0: For me when I started I was very much all about the the thematic games Arkham Horror was one of the the games that got me back into gaming and things like Castle Ravenloft and Descent and all things like that and that that was the things that I, I craved for and I didn't really pay much attention to the Euro games and then they slowly started creeping up onto me obviously like Steve that we mentioned before he is a big exponent of Euro games. We used to go around to his house and play these Euro games and then he started just cranking the gears in my mind and thinking, wow, actually, that was difficult, but I really enjoyed it. So now I've learned that I really love economy in games as Ronan (laughs) loves to bring up and I'll crowbar an economy strategy into pretty much anything, which is true. And yeah, Euro games are now... (laughs) right up there on a par and some of them are my favorite games of all time so yeah that that's the biggest change for me i've I've swayed from pure thematic game into a mixture of the of the two
1: and a second question kind of links into this to your answer and my next answer is has the podcast changed the games you enjoy and why you like them and i've gone in the opposite direction to sean I was heavily a Euro gamer originally. I mean, I'd always play a bit of anything, a party game, a thematic game, but more about Euros. Now, the time that I spend around games for the podcast and the pit stops, because that is more like work and, and you're putting a lot of effort into it, when I get my own time to game, I tend now to want more thematic games and more story-driven games that give me those moments that, and as an escape rather than doing the brain burning euros because my brain burning a lot of it's been done either at work and then in doing all the stuff for the podcast and the videos so now all right this is now my downtime i like to just go down which is why you always hear it mentioned likes of eldritch horror or maybe a time stories or a sherlock holmes with the new expansion that came out something like that i'm more likely to put off the shelf but then when I do pull out a really good Euro, that because they're fewer and further between, I tend to enjoy them more. So I'm I finding more of a balance, again, in what I play, but drifting in the opposite direction to the way Sean is. So the podcast for me, it
0: <laughs> sounds like I was a complete muppet before, which I was. but it's, what, what made before? Me, <laughs> it's made me actually take on board other other perspectives in terms of yeah you know what I have to judge a game based on perspectives that might not necessarily come naturally to me so it's made me listen to Roland sort of delving into the mechanisms of games and, and finding joy in actual mechanisms rather than I don't know the storyline or how beautiful a game looks like and it's made me really think about that side of things and let's think about Magic Maze for instance I don't like that game in any way shape or form. It really irritates. So I,
1: I know. But
0: <laughs> doing a review on it made me actually think, okay, that's just my that's my taste, my personal taste, but is the game good at what it sets out to do? yes. I mean, yes. It is. It is very good at what it sets out to do, but I don't personally like what it's setting out to do. So that's the biggest thing for me. It's made me think about why that audience and what the various tastes are and that everyone comes at things from different angles.
1: Okay, so given that our tastes have changed and we're doing things differently, we've been asked here to look through our old episodes and pick two games that you're wrong about or have changed for you in some way. Sean? Okay,
0: so two slightly different angles to come at this. First, I will say it's going back to uh, one of our Treasure Hunt episodes. And Ronan already mentioned the one he was most wrong about. And I think the one that I'm most embarrassed about was Legendary Inventors. I defended it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded like a really nice puzzle game. I could see the theme in that there were inventions and all these people were famous inventors. And it is atrocious. It's an awful game that luckily we are not having to review i did buy it i quickly offloaded it and yeah the the inventors have been nothing to do with the inventions that are coming through the inventions are just it's a case of i need a cube here and a cube there no thematic tie-in the game itself is boring the puzzle isn't very interesting and yeah it was a, a absolute for me in terms of getting that one
1: completely wrong from memory sean that was one of those high-pitched moments where I honestly couldn't believe that you were having that game as a treasure. I, think you I, I know I hadn't wrong. played it, and there's always room to be wrong, but <laughs> there was nothing in the rule book that indicated that that was anything other than total nonsense.
0: I, I think it might have been rules blindness. I think because you hated it so much, I just got the strop and thought, right, <laughs> I don't know what happened
1: that's usually a good reason for it <laughs> okay my one i think is gonna be a bit more controversial Ooh. great western trail <gasps> don't you dare i've gone off it oh you're a robber. it's just a simple sort of hand management game where you're building a deck and managing your hand it's too long for what it is it's too convoluted and it doesn't have enough interaction it's a decent game it's not the very good game that I think I probably reviewed it as. And if it wasn't for the fact that Rachel really likes it and that other people ask for it, I would probably get rid of Great Western Trail. It's not good enough, in my personal opinion, to stick around in my collection.
0: You're wrong, it's a fantastic game. Can't is wait for the expansion. It um,
1: is! Isn't it like two and a half hours of just getting six cars into a deck and then hoping to get lucky enough to avoid the. The same colours.
0: No, no, you're wrong.
1: The illusion of different routes. The f- yeah, when you land on other people's, it doesn't really make any
0: difference. Does make a difference because most games tend to be very tight, and landing on other people's stuff, it can tip the balance. Yeah, the the collection of the cards is important, but as is progressing on the railway track and I can't wait for the expansion to come out I'm beside myself
1: neither can I it might turn it into a good game again sure <laughs> you're
0: saying okay love. so when we first reviewed love letter I likened it to no better than a game of snap uh, a memorable <laughs> shock or judgment probably eggs on by you being a, a little sausage in the corner egging me on <laughs> sausage <laughs> yeah, a little sausage that's a sausage. I You're a funny sausage. lad. <laughs> I'm so used to calling my son. Oh, you stop being a sausage. So I'm calling you it now. Love letter really didn't tickle me from... From the off, it, it took ages, and in fact it was watching the interaction between Ronan and his girls as they played it and starting to see those those little subtleties in picking out when people were lying and trying to, trying to lead you down the garden path. Yeah, there is some luck in it, especially early on, but the, the more the game goes on, the more you can start to decipher what somebody actually does have in their hand, and, and it's quite clever, and it's, it's always fun. I think early days I was looking at it thinking, oh, there's nothing to this. But I still, I never didn't have fun. So, yeah, Love Letters, one well, I've completely tur- turned around on. And I really do enjoy it now. I think I've got two, maybe three copies
1: at home now. Wow, I can only welcome you into the light and <laughs> congratulate you on your uh, <laughs> somewhat tardy wisdom. For what it does. For the end of the game, it's a very good game. And there is that social interaction, which isn't forced in it. I really like it. Okay. My second game is another one that I'm slightly going to slay, a, a big name that I've gone off a bit. And I had so much hope for this. And I've backed it and backed it to the hill. Time Stories. At the end of the day, to date, and we haven't finished the uh, the Spanish Inquisition theme one, and we've got one more after that. It's Australia Drive. We haven't played that one yet. But up to that point... It's a story of unfulfilled promise. The idea of the repetition was novel in the first couple of scenarios. Now it's just, no, I don't want to go through the same rooms again, looking at the same stuff, falsely burning time, just to get to a point where the last quarter of each run, I'm actually discovering new things, which is where the fun of the game is. Each game of it or each scenario is front-loaded with interest where you're getting that initial information. And then they've all tended to be a complete straight path to get to the actual final. I know Prophecy of Dragons had some different options, but actually once you got to the second half, it was a straight path from there. Again, very front-loaded with interest in that one. It wasn't my favourite one anyway. The market in this area has completely changed escape room games have come into play and they have shown how much variety you can have how you can work puzzles different ways how you can take a slightly different system and bring innovation to that system time stories have shown zero innovation from its initial high of getting the asylum having a completely new idea okay so what we'll do with it there is so much more potential in time stories than they are using it is becoming very very frustrating I have these two further scenarios. When we get to the end of Australia Drive, which is going to be before the end of June, because we're going on a cruise and we're planning to finish it off on that cruise, if it hasn't shown serious innovation in those last two scenarios, I'm going to be done with Time Stories. And that is a surprise to me because I was such a high on it to start
0: with. I'm still really much in in the early days of Time Stories. I've only done the very first one that comes in the box and the Marcy case. So I'm still quite enamored by it i haven't actually played any of the other escape rooms and uh, like unlock and what have
1: you unlock i found to be really annoying and rubbish but uh, what, exit what the game i really enjoy
0: okay so i haven't played exit or Deathscape escape <laughs> or whatever the other ones are but yeah i'm still very much looking forward to my my next plays of time
1: stories so yeah maybe maybe i'll get to that point but not yet Okay, so there's a couple of questions coming up here. And again, we're going to be talking about sort of different types of games. It's kind of a theme running through this little section of different sorts of games or changes in taste. In this case, it's from Keith Shapley, who supplies a couple of questions. Thank you, Keith sean what's the party game you've played that generated the most laughter
0: honest with you, i don't really play party games i don't know i don't really know why I, i'm always involved in something a bit deeper i think when i do get that time to play i want to dive into something that i've been trying to play for ages so i don't play a lot but i So I'm going to slightly change it. I'm sorry, Keith. I'm going to change it to the game that's generated the most laughter. And for absolutely, it's Eldritch Horror every time. We always talk about our eSpawn game that when we go down to LobsterCon and we have an absolutely hilarious time playing Eldritch Horror. But there's one particular... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> game that just stands out in my memory. It was a game that we played around at Steve's, Roland, and it was the one where you made that dark pact and nothing could go wrong. And you nothing just,
1: could go wrong. With nothing that. could go
0: wrong. Confident. And I just remember just looking around. Steve fell off his chair. You were you was like struggling to breathe. I was in a coughing fit. Just we had so much fun playing that one game, and I think that's what elevated it really from then to be my number one in in our recent top fifty. So that's the funniest game I've played. I don't really play a lot of party games.
1: I'm gonna take that dark pack because the immediate bonus it will give me next round is going to put us in a really good position. As long as we don't get a red come up on in the Mythos phase and I don't roll a one on a die. (laughs) And then I haven't got the one that devours me. Oh. Ah, well those three things that I needed not to go wrong just went wrong, sorry lads um, yeah, Eldritch Horror, a total lobster contradiction, you weren't there at this last one, we just had it was continued, it was almost too drunken Sean there was a, there were cocktails consumed beforehand and uh, we had a, a right of time it was the Devourer of Cities was the baddie and with Samurai Sika disappeared and tokyo disappeared and we had epic monsters everywhere, it was brutal this one My party game with the most laughter is another LobsterCon tradition. It somehow worked out that on a Friday evening at LobsterCon, I run a Dutch auction for games in which lots of games get sold for ridiculously cheap prices. If you don't know what a Dutch auction is, you count downwards, so £20, £19, £18, £17, £16, £15. First person to jump in to pay the going amount gets the game. So... That, that it, it's almost a game in itself doing that Dutch auction but we always follow it with social gaming and I've been told in no uncertain terms always mix up the games try something different we did a kind of a funny quizzy thing uh, at this come but always we must play Time's Up Title Recall. We play it with all four rounds in which I give them increasing time to do it. And in the first round, uh, Time's Up Title Recall, you get the name of a book or an album or a movie or a person, whatever it might be. You can say whatever you like as long as the word isn't on the card and the rest of your team have to guess it. In the second round... You can only say one word, but I get two people up to do it, and you can start acting things out between you. In the third round, I get three people up. You can't speak; you have to act out what was on the card. And in the fourth round, I get four people up to be statues and create a tableau. And the rest of you have to close their eyes, open their eyes, and just look at them, unmoving in poses, to try and work out and. Without fail, this creates so much laughter and memory and people with tears in their eyes, and that's why it's constantly requested. So for me, the party game with the most laughter has to be Time's Up, Title Recall, another Lobster con tradition.
0: An honourable mention just quickly, rolling to Firefly, especially playing Firefly with you, is always a, a very memorably hilarious experience because you are the best at Firefly.
1: I am not the best at Firefly. <laughs> we can move on now because... That is very traumatic. (laughs) It's always so funny. But there you go. So
0: the next question from Keith, and the last one before we go into the next section, is if you had to play a war game, what would it be?
1: Uh, If you count coin games from GMT as war games, it would be one of those. I almost got in a game of Cuba Libre the other day, but people said they were too tired in the end, and we didn't know the rules quite well enough. So it would be a coin game. Everyone says to me, the theme of a coin game is more important than which one you choose they're all different but they're all kind of the same cuba libre is supposed to be the easiest to learn it's not the one with the theme that i'm most interested in but the one i do have with a theme that i've read lots about and i know a bit about it, certainly no expert but i know a little bit about it is fire in the lake the vietnam based one so i would very much like to play that for the theme for the depth take time to engage with it properly, play with it with players who know it, that we're learning together, and we can fully understand the repercussions of each other's actions like any good game that you get to learn and discover. So that, if you count that as a war game, if you don't, I've had Hammer of the Scots, which is a introductory two-player block war game where you put blocks up, like Stratego, where you can see what the blocks represent, but your opponent can't until they encounter them. And I've I had that for a long time it's supposed to be an introductory two-player block war game very much want to play that another one that might get taken on the cruise i don't know that rachel will enjoy direct war games that much she tends to be a bit more like you to like an engine and a euro and a build up and have a plan so so we'll see but one of those two sean for you any war game tickling your fancy
0: well, I have written down the Queen series, road, and it's something that I've kind of looked at in, in the past, but I don't think they constitute the type of war game that Keith's talking about. Uh, things like Memoir 44, Heroes of Normandy, or Normandai, uh Britannia... Uh, we recently played 878 Vikings. They are, I suppose they're, they're war games. and They're not the in-depth war games I think Keith's talking about. They're certainly games that I would like to play. I suppose yeah, the coin series is probably the closest one
1: of, of that ilk. Very, very good. Sean, we have got a special guest in the next message. Yes, we have. Two bad impressions.
4: Sean Ronan, it's Eric Summerer from the Dice Tower, uh, wanting to wish you guys a, a very splendid episode 100. Uh, congratulations on reaching the milestone. That, that takes a lot of dedication and, uh, and, and stick-to-itiveness. And, uh, and I really wish you guys the best of luck in your continued endeavors. It was great to see you guys at Essen. I hope uh, that maybe, maybe someday, we can actually sit down or maybe stand up uh, shoulder to shoulder and, and uh, you know, stand in the booth together. Again. Anyway, congratulations.
0: Well, yes. There we go. Eric Summerer from the Dice Tower himself, the voice. Yeah, it was very good to see you at sn 2.
1: I thought you said I was the voice of gaming.
0: I didn't say the voice of gaming, did I? I said he's the voice.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, in uh, which case, carry
0: on. Okay, all right. All right, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so anyway, yeah, it was very good to see you in sn 2. We tend to end up with Eric quite often. Whether he's the only person that can suffer us, I don't know. When we do man in the Dice Tower booth,
1: isn't it that police order? Is there something about that? <laughs> <laughs> he's the only one with the patience he's the only one that doesn't know about it
0: Shh. <laughs> i'm not sure stick is a word but i'm going to use it in general conversation anyway ronan
1: what general conversation would you use that word in sean
0: james get to bed and i'll admire your stick if
1: you don't get up again yeah no okay. no he didn't quite he didn't, didn't quite no So, anyway, from the worst (laughs) thing you've ever said to the worst game we have covered, we are going to pick one or more games from our backlog that were so bad they were almost good. Sean, I have plucked for three in my villains row of awful games. How many have you got for us?
0: I have two, Rodan, so I think you had better start.
1: Oh, I'll throw in a quick one because it's already been mentioned. and I know I've said it before, but it needs saying here. Galactic Strike Force. <laughs> shocking. It is shocking. Nothing else needs to be said about that. that Go on, a mate.
0: Smelly bag of rubbish.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Right. I got a little bit industrial again. Your language is foul today. It really is industrial.
0: Yes. gauntlet a little fool's Ronan. Do you remember that?
1: Was... Oh, you've stolen one of mine. Oh, uh,
0: brilliant. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yes. Sir. I
1: told you. I told you <laughs> so many times that game was going to be terrible.
0: I was new to Kickstarter. It was literally the very first thing I ever Kickstarted. I was so excited at this idea of Kickstarter. I scoured and it was a time when there was nothing really great really going on. Uh, nothing that had been released in the, the the last few weeks that was still ongoing. So I just found this one game. It was Donald X Vaccarino that d- designed it, wasn't it?
1: It certainly oh, he was.
0: He certainly had his name attached to it, that's right. And it looked a bit ropey, but I thought in, in my desire to kickstart something, just anything, I just talked myself around.
1: I thought I talked you out of it twice, by the way. Twice I thought I talked you out of pledging for that. I was
0: so desperate just to kickstart something, though. I just wanted to do it.
1: Well, then why did you make me play it? Because <laughs> I was trying to
0: justify the money I'd spent on What this. have
1: I done to you to deserve that? It's
0: a game where you handicap yourself by making both. So you say, well, I am going to go into the dungeon with one arm tied behind my back. And someone goes, right, I'm going to do that. Plus, I'm going to do it blindfolded. And then,
1: I'm uh, going to try and not swear while playing Gauntlet Little Fools.
0: <laughs> That's impossible. Right. And, and then you basically go into a dungeon. And it's a push your luck game. And you pretty much always die in the same place and it's all very boring, very pointless. Creature attacks are zero a zero sum and have just basically, you, you either die or you don't as soon as that t- Why
1: are you giving this many details about this terrible game? I'm still trying to justify it, right? No, just warn people off. You'd be a <laughs> fool if you were to touch this. Call Little falls is awful it's horrific terrible
0: it's one of the worst games we've covered or indeed
1: that i've ever played very good thank you for that summary it could we couldn't it would be a miss of us to the nth degree to talk about the worst games we've covered and not refer back to one of my personal favorite reviews we've ever done I decided to jump on my soapbox and stamp my feet full on tantrum. Uh, Harbour. Is it Harbour? That's all we need to say. Unnecessary, dull, pointless game. Just does not need to exist. Does not need to exist. But people love just, it. Just I don't, I don't understand. understand. Just terrible. Just nothing. Just endless boring nonsense <laughs> droning on towards a very dull finish. There is no redeeming feature to Harbour apart from the fact it's in a small enough box that if I really try it, I can give it a decent punt far, or far away from me. I uh, Johnny Wilkinson's the bejesus out of that box. Goodbye. Don't ever bother me again. Harbour, you are awesome awful that was another one i made you play i think you've done some terrible
0: things i have to me. and here's, here's another one here's another what one what is it pack of heroes Ryan.
1: i was thinking about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> i'm gonna be the sniper and no matter where you go on this little grid of superheroes we've made i can shoot you
0: four by four grid or a five by five grid <laughs> that your sniper can shoot like 20 spaces yeah that's gonna hit
1: I move one towards your sniper. He shoots you. I move one towards your sniper. He shoots you again. You're dead. I'm going to move this one towards your sniper. He shoots you as well. <laughs> we <laughs> somewhat always, have formed a pattern.
0: I, you set up your own... Your, your, your characters in the grid at the start and you always just put your sniper in the corner. As far away from everyone else and you just kill them.
1: So no range limit on it and no blocking. So you can't even get one character in the way of another character. It's like... We, you your massive rock beast is in the way of my pixie? No, sniper can hit you. Uh,
0: and the humorous characters that quickly be, just became tedious. Unbalanced teams and my. Actually, it's not a good memory because I really did feel embarrassed. I remember trading at the one of the early UK games <laughs> expos. You're a
4: terrible
2: person.
0: I am a terrible person. I got quite a decent game, and I, and I, I didn't. Make it out to be anything than it was. I just put a pack of heroes, good condition. So this guy probably, I think he'd offloaded to somebody else because it was a maths trade something like quite large, ticket to ride size. Box and he, I saw him handing it over, and I've bowled over with this unutterably poo game, and I've handed him this tiny little box, and he just looked at me, and looked at the box, and looked at me again, and I'm like, "Yes, yeah, sorry."
1: As you were looming <laughs> towards him at six foot six, he was hoping that was just perspective. i like, know oh, it's a big game in a very big. Oh no, oh oh oh, oh no, it's oh. actually.
0: And I was just thinking, like that—that's disappointing. But when he gets from home and plays, yeah, that
1: plays game, it, your name <laughs> I,
0: oh is Mark. God, I almost like shoved twenty quid in the box just <laughs> to make up for it
1: You gorab some
0: God bless him. If you are that person, I'm sorry.
1: The one thing that makes it possibly worse than Harbour is that it's not big enough to give a decent punt to. Uh, you can give it a little bit of a punt. It wouldn't be as satisfactory as the F-Doof. You'd give, you'd give one the size of Harbour. The
0: harbor the F-Doof size.
1: Yeah. f <laughs> I was discussing for the other day with our old fly half, by the way, on Saturday. But anyway, that's a story for another podcast.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got some questions from the legend himself that is Puriot, or P-Dog as we like to
1: refer to him
0: as and his first question Ronan is what's the most surprising aspect of doing the podcast
1: okay I come up with four things Sean I'm gonna lay them out there for your comments see what you think go I know everyone says it and I know it shouldn't have been a surprise but the first thing that I found most surprising was the amount of work it takes to put into a podcast. Now. I personally hate it when people mention how much work it is to do a podcast because, listen, you're choosing to do it. I'm just choosing to listen. Don't burden me with your issues. So I'm going to go over this quickly. Of course, we choose to do it. And, of course, there are rewards to do it, both personal and developing yourself. And, of course, we get given games very generously but it was and is still a surprise, the amount of work that goes into producing content.
0: Yeah, I've got this on my list, how little time we have in our lives I've put
1: down. And... When we started, was that like a deeper sort of thing about how fleeting mortality is?
0: Or... <laughs> Maybe, or yeah. it was—it was about how little time we actually have to do things in our little oh, oh, lives. Because right. when we started, we were still going down to the MMA gym. We were still playing a bit of rugby. We were—we still had other things. I was playing football, and that all very quickly went out the
1: door, as our waistlines will attest to.
0: Yeah, as <laughs> our waistlines will attest to. <laughs> They all kind of slowly waned as it was like, oh, no, I can't do that because we need to record because we've got to get an episode out. And, oh, no, no, I can't I can't do that. And, yeah, things just get pushed to one side. And and that's why we say it quite often is life just takes over sometimes or we just can't podcast because we, we've got to do things.
1: It's gone from being one of our hobbies to our only hobby, pretty much, I would say.
0: Yeah. yeah, it is yeah, it. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're sounding like we're in
1: misery. Oh, this is, no, this is a track. Totally very rewarding Yes. Wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it, for sure. Absolutely. For
0: sure 100%. 100%. For sure. It's, it's helped us to meet some fantastic friends and some fantastic people and go to fantastic places. And I, I wouldn't swap it, but it does take up a lot of time. You're absolutely right, Ronan.
1: Okay, the second thing was uh, an observation, the absolute difference in the US to the UK audience that we have. And we are more UK than most podcasts being based in the UK, which kind of makes sense, of course. And I, I'm actually probably more uh, comfortable with the UK audience, again, which makes sense having lived and grown up in the UK all our lives, that you really don't get much back. And that's okay. I'm not moaning about that either. But but UK people, you know, give us a load of questions for the podcast. Uh, you know, I oh, really, yeah, go give us questions. Mm, you know with US audience engage and want to be involved and we'll chat to you and I'm going on holiday over. should we meet up and play a game and this it's just one of the ways that you get that it's hugely different you can kind of tell when you're dealing with an email from a US listener to a UK listener it's just funny to me and it is a bit surprising the fact that there's this huge difference between the way the two audiences uh, interact with us it's just something funny that I've noticed over the years and like I say we're we're also from the UK We're, we're probably a bit more reserved than, than US podcasters we're probably a bit more like oh yeah thanks for listening that's cool you know just quite in the background that, that's fine by us
0: yeah I think US fans of things are, are more likely to buy products based on their like you know t-shirts and keyrings and stuff like that for the secret cabal etc uh, than UK people are But I think I've also noticed, and it's it's been quite surprising, is that in general, and, and I get this feeling from other people as well, there's not a lot of sort of feedback or or fan mail if you, if you want to call it like that of coming from the gaming community at all because I remember there was a story about the long view when he was just like listen I'm doing this for years I never get any any comeback nobody ever writes to me nobody ever answers my questions nobody ever sends anything into the show like should I continue doing this and then he just got this massive mail no oh, no we're listening we're listening honestly we're, we're, we're here we like it we just hadn't, didn't have anything to say or didn't want to say anything and he was like oh cool alright I'll continue so i think maybe it's a bit gamer centric
1: or i don't know but i mean podcasting is part of it because it's you you can't get accurate podcasting figures we could only ever make a best guess yeah true enough. so so, uh, that you little bit you're like you're shouting out into the void plus i think about yeah this podcast i've listened to for literally 10 15 years i've never interacted with the creators i love what they do but I never sort of go on and tell them I love what they do. So I do always think about that myself. Whenever I'm wondering, is anyone out there? Yeah, they are. We're getting down those. We can see the figures. Thank you. And we don't want you to interact. We don't want you to. Don't feel bad in any way if you don't. I don't. We're doing this and we enjoy it. We can see that people are listening. We presume that you're enjoying it in some way, and that is fantastic to us. But it's just, you know, as you say, something slightly different that I've noticed.
0: At the same time, if you ever do think, actually, I wouldn't mind writing into that, please feel free, you will get, I guarantee you, you'll get a personal response from us. I guarantee it. So if you do want to talk to us, we are we are there for you.
1: <laughs> Eventually, you'll get a response. Eventually. The last yeah. two months have been particularly bad. So, sorry, Hacken. Okay, <laughs> my third thing, Sean. Again, it's something maybe you know, but when you actually start interacting it firsthand it becomes more stark the variety in publishers and their responses within the industry has been surprising and then you're realizing that some of these are multi-million pound companies that have got a couple of hundred employees and some of them is one person working out of their garage and the size of the company is no indicator on how much they will interact with you as someone who's covering their games. And I don't just mean sending us games. I, I we may have reviewed a game that we bought and we just say, I oh, reviewed your game and get zero back. We might review a game and suddenly that publisher is chatting to us, interacting, always wants to talk to us, will send us out all their details, information about games that are coming, will meet us at cons. And the size makes no difference. It's just the people are so different. Now, it's something I I, I think it is gonna come up later, but we have never ever taken money for the podcast and that's for a very good reason because for example these last two months when nothing's come out i would feel awful if we were taking money in and then not producing content and as we said all the way through that sometimes life's just going to prioritize when i look at publishers they are doing it for money and surely they must have some financial investment in there and it really baffles me sometimes the way that they just some of them don't engage at all So our interactions within the industry, I think I expected a level of engagement and maybe professionalism that is there in the majority of cases and really isn't there in other cases. And that's been a bit, I always still find it puzzling, Sean, that as a publisher, you you know, you wouldn't answer an email or wouldn't even have an email address available on the internet for us to be able to contact you about anything, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, the the amount of people that don't have Twitter accounts, like a lot of the German companies don't have Twitter or Instagram, and we love to tweet out when we've played a game or when we reviewed a game. We love to tweet out and give that... That publisher a little boost or what have you, but sometimes you just can't do it because they don't exist. And yeah, I think it does go down to professionalism, well And I think in this industry, is sometimes you just the mind boggles at the at the lack of professionalism shown, and given that the money that's involved. And I, I'm sure if you went into another industry, the movie industry, the computer game industry. any any other industry you could care to mention that it would be a lot professional or at least i i'm guessing so
1: yeah and sometimes companies turn up and you know within a couple of months yeah they're going to be big but just by the way they handle it and the way they've got themselves set up and and they just you know answer emails just stuff like i know we're not always the best answering emails but i kind of will refer back and go yeah but it's not our job it is someone's job on that publisher's side, you know? Anyway, that was, was something of surprise. And the last thing, Sean, and this is a genuine thing that is still a surprise to me, is the size of the audience that we get. I mentioned earlier, we were aiming for 100 at the end of the year. We have a podcast audience somewhere around per episode four or 5,000, something like that. Uh, well, there are four or 5,000 people that want to listen to our episodes. Honestly, genuinely still a big surprise to me. And from all over the world. Because
0: what Podbean does do quite well. It actually breaks down where the demand for feeds is coming from. And yeah, we've got people in Australia, the US, obviously the UK, Germany, India, like Iran. There was a guy who was like, wow, someone in Iran has downloaded our feed. They might not have listened to it, but they've downloaded our feed. That is so cool. It's amazing that, like, my voice is travelling that far, the rubbish that I have to say is actually going somewhere. So,
1: I presume it's just the state sensor, just making sure that you stay off the airways. <laughs> that's, that's what I would guess in that particular case. But uh, what do I know? Uh, Sean, any surprises for you? I've been going on forever about this.
0: No, you've covered, you've covered it most. The ease in which the podcast could be set up. Like, just the ease in which you could just say, right, join Podbean, get Audacity, buy a cheap mic, and off you go. And then all there was, there was episode number one. Yes, we edited it to death, and we put a lot of time in post that, but we didn't have to. We could have just, like, gone with what was there, but it would have been rubbish. But the ease of just getting going... Still is rubbish. <laughs> all
1: right, you got me. Okay. Okay, so this one is a little bit similar, but I've definitely asked it from a different angle. Has podcasting changed the way that you play games, Sean? Well,
0: it's definitely made me look at games, and I touched on it before, that I wouldn't normally entertain. And sometimes, obviously, we have to play and review games rather than games that we have just bought and feel like playing. So, for me, that's the biggest the biggest change for me, is like, yeah, okay, we've been sent this game. We've said we'll review it. I wouldn't normally touch it, but let's give it a go. And sometimes you, your eyes open, actually. That's, that's pretty decent. And it opens your eyes to that type of game. So that's probably the biggest change for me.
1: For sure, yeah. Definitely exploring different games. We get sent all sorts of different games or get asked to review all sorts of different games for sure. I am rarely playing to win when we're playing a review game. I'm much more likely to be playing to explore some different way or I've had a thought about if I play it that way what would happen or I um, am concentrating on what the other players are doing and and how they're winning while I sort of tick along and pay more attention really to how the game as a whole is being played whether my role in it. Uh, I more want to talk through with the other players after that what their experience was, and not just taking on their opinion on the game, which I will always listen to, but also aspects of the. How do you find that was? How do you find doing that was? Was we'll setting up your engine easy or hard or whatever? So things like that. And I think the last thing is that I am more likely, and I touched on this earlier again, to do something else to relax rather than game to relax because gaming is. You know, a mini job. Pretty much, pretty much.
0: Okay, so in the next section, you'll hear from Huddersfield's finest first.
1: Patrick Uh, Stewart. (laughs) Sean, make it so.
3: Make it so. And we'll see you there. Hello, my name's Dan Hughes, and I'm from the Dice Tower. You might have seen me on Board Game Blender or Board Game Breakfast, uh, along with my daughter Cora. And also I'm from the uh, Comedy Board Gaming Panel Show uh, podcast, This Game Is Broken. Um, but I'm not here to talk about me, although that's a very fascinating topic. Uh, I'm here to talk about the Game Pit podcast, which, according to their calculations, which are pretty dubious, but still, you know, it's their podcast, is 100 episodes long. Now, I've been a fan of the Game Pit for quite a long time now, and of particular use to me is the absolutely invaluable support they give me during Essen. The past two years, Essen has been made so much easier by listening to the traps and treasures of their, um, their recommendations. And one of the things I find absolutely invaluable is their ability to read rulebooks so I don't have to, summarise the kind of general rules and general feel of a game, and then kind of present them to the audience. Now, I don't always agree with them, their opinion of whether it is a trap or treasure, but it certainly gives me food for thought, and it also raises up various games that I might not have considered otherwise. And if they did only the Essen shows alone, um, I would be a dedicated listener. But there's so much more. So... Happy 100th episode birthday, um, and here's to 100 more.
1: Well, Mr. Dan Hughes, uh, thank you. I think, even though we're wrong, but you still use us like a tool or something. Goodness me. Dan's supposed to be coming on the show at some point, isn't he, Sean? Wasn't I supposed to arrange that?
0: (laughs) Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, Dan uh, and possibly Matthew.
1: Yeah. Mm, Yeah, I should probably get on with doing that. We'll see them at the UK Games Expo. It's only taken
0: us three months to do episode 100, so...
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Three months? Who are you trying to kill? <laughs> These messages were recorded about eight months ago, <laughs> you lazy son of a... Right, anyway. To
0: be fair, just before we move on, I am a big fan of Dan's show. This game is broken.
1: Oh, yeah, that needs more publicity, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> a nomination for podcast on the Board Game Geek. Yeah, yeah, that needs a lot more publicity. But yes, it is. It's very good, and I thoroughly enjoy it. So I
1: refuse to listen to such filth. So,
0: Dan... All I can say is I don't need any more Huddersfield timeline cards, okay? I've got enough.
1: Neither you nor the world. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks at the Game Expo, Dan, and we shall manhandle you there. Sean, time to get round to our last question for us, and then a couple more questions. Before we're going to do what we haven't mentioned before, Our first episode came up in 2013. We're going to do a top 10 2013 soon. So let's get on with finishing off these final bits. And this is pick one moment or episode that you've enjoyed from the previous 99+, plus. we'll put a plus plus there, episodes, uh, just to fit the way I've done it all the way through, I've chosen three. Well, I've chosen one. <laughs> okay. Let's go for your good one before my bad three.
0: Mine was episode 27, and I held this back off on the worst games because of, for, for this section specifically because I really enjoyed our review of Dungeon Roll, another game that I got all hyped up about and backed on Kickstarter, made you play, and then we just tore to pieces in the review i think we both got on our soapbox about it it was a very funny i think it was probably us at our mediocre best and yeah i thoroughly enjoyed episode 27
1: just another rant <laughs>
0: another rant so we, we just went into one and it was very funny
1: i'm starting to feel like you deliberately make me play these terrible games that you've backed just to see if you can get me wound up uh move on okay very good so my three quickly one of the ones that i don't think get got that much attention because it's a slight crossover but we did one of our pit fights where we get games that have all got a common theme or or whatever and it was about dungeons and dragons games and we were looking through trying to looking at likes off obviously the adventure system but we pulled in other games that weren't Necessarily Dungeons and Dragons because we didn't feel there was a game that encompassed DD that well. And we talked about a wild ranging load of different games that cover different aspects of what we like within d And I just think that we did that episode really well. We both knew the games very well we were talking about. And I just really enjoy recording and even listening back to the episode. I don't often enjoy listening back to our episodes.
0: Yeah, I do remember. I think we need to do more uh, Pit Fights. I think they were a particular favourite of us recording because they were always games that we were very familiar with and quite passionate about so and they tend to be the the better episodes when we are really familiar with things so yeah good
1: choice thank you very much i've already mentioned it my second one was just recording with mark johnson that was sort of a personal moment for boring move on You're calling Mark boring. No, I'm calling you boring. Oh, that's true. And my third one was, and it was something where we tried something a bit different. It certainly wasn't 100% successful. There was a lot of effort went into it, but it was our battle report for Virgin Queen, where I went around and taught five different people the learning game of Virgin Queen, taking two and a half hours each. And then we sat down all day and played it, and we recorded bits between each turn for each of the six people playing. And we had some overall thoughts before and after. And it wasn't a hundred percent success in what we set out to do, but I really like that we that we just tried something different and tried a different format. I like us trying different formats, and I like that that was completely different and out of our comfort zone and we made something of a success out of it, something a little bit unique there. so there you go.
0: I think it was our, our attempt at doing sort of like a dice tower life playthrough, that kind of thing.
1: I know. I don't think I've heard anyone else try and do exactly this. Whereby you know, a life playthrough be different, where you're talking through each move, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. This was we're trying to capture the essence in snippets, as well as providing a background and a summary.
0: It was our version. That's what i was saying. It was. It was right. different. But it was our our kind of way of doing that, catching it in those snippets. And I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed, actually, the episode. Not necessarily the game, because if I remember, I uh, I felt a bit out of it in the actual game itself,
1: but yeah. That's because you were the Ottomans and you refused to attack. I did
0: attack, and I got soundly beaten and spent the rest of the game trying to build up my forces again. The Ottomans are excluded from half the game. Half the fun is, like, getting your your relationships and marrying off your, your pairs and working out
1: that side of the game. and They're excluded from it. Yeah, you had to, you had to bring military force to bear one. Anyway, those are my three highlights. So we'll move on to, again, a couple more questions. We've got Nathan and Terry here, friends of ours who have been on as special SM reporters and in end-of-year shows at various times. So, coming from Nathan, your best game pimping tips or why do you not like pimping games, Sean? I...
0: I've recently pimped out my copy of Orleans. How did you pimp it out? I basically copied the deluxe version. So the deluxe version has metal coins and I I bought the upgrade patch from pack from DLP, but I also I bought bags from ArtsCal. And what you on ArtsCal you can you can go in. You can design your own little cloth bags for games, or there's there's hundreds of designs already done by the BGG community. And you just you just click on the link on the on the Geek List, and you go in and you print off. And they, I think it's a couple of weeks to come, but they really look nice in games. I've just done one for Sagrada Stuffed Fables. I've made a little bag for the dice in that, and all the arms I did. Each player has got their own color bag.
1: You are obsessed with those little bags.
0: I am, but I think they really look nice in games. And, and metal coins, finding miniatures that match. Like Nathan himself, he had a another game when he bought Imperial Assault that had the exact same miniatures but they were all painted so he just transferred them in and they look amazing game trays like there's this new fad for game trays where you just like the overlays and so that keeps all the components i love that kind of stuff yeah i, I like pimping at games right now
1: oh uh, yeah and i'm entirely not fast at all <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just why do you not like pimping games don't know is it you me to explain the negative <laughs> i save my money for actual games. You are a miserable curmudgeon. Could be that too. The one thing you will find, what I consider to be pimping a game, is you will find a lot of Universal Head rule summaries, or from other people, but no one else is consistently as good as Universal Head is, player aids, rule summaries, things to help you actually play the game and make the teaching, learning, and playing smoother. That's the sort of pimping that I can fully get behind, yes. as opposed yes. to having nicer coins. I think making the experience better is better than just...
0: Yeah, I agree. Stuff. I've recently bought a laminator as well, Roland. So oh, I'm, I've been laminating some play aids.
1: It really doesn't cost much. It's like $2 a month. But one of the very few things I do crowdfund or Patreon, whatever, is the Universal Head Esoteric Order of Gaming because they are... Nearly everything that he's done, I've got somewhere in the game box. And it makes those complex games so much smoother to play that it's totally, for me, worth that. Appreciation. Preach.
0: Okay, so Nathan now wants
1: us to have a
0: cheating in games and takesy backsies discussion.
1: Off you go, Reddard. Everyone cheats unknowingly in games. Yes, agreed. You sometimes forget to pay, take too much, uh, double take your resources, whatever it might be. Everyone sometimes get things wrong, and sometimes you catch yourself, and sometimes you don't catch yourself, and sometimes you sit there going. I shouldn't have this much money. Or, oh, sometimes I, I don't have as much money as I should. And then later on someone might go, didn't you buy for... Oh, that's where that... Oh, I've got extra money. Or it happens. And to be honest, I'm never that fussed. It's one of the reasons that I avoid competition games is because it's such a toxic atmosphere around simple mistakes like that. So uh, cheating is always going to happen, but I wouldn't call it cheating. We're going to call those inadvertent mistakes. My, my general stance, it tends to be, I'll call you out if I happen to see you cheating. And that will make me sad if I ever have to do that. But I'm not watching other people. I'm just trusting you. Uh, And if there's a game where stuff happens behind the screen and we just have to trust that, I just don't even give it a second thought. I presume the people I'm playing with are playing in the right spirit until they prove otherwise. And honestly, very, very few have ever had to. Someone had to get spoken to about this at London on Board the other day. And... It's such a toxic thing to have to deal with and so uncomfortable. You're there to have fun. You're there to have fun with and for other people. Why would you do such a thing? How could winning be that important to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I cheat all the time. Nathan, Pest finger. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Nathan who asked the question. I was playing all the with him and I was taking six or seven out of the bag at a time and at the end of the game, they were like, oh, how did you win? And I was like, well, I bumped up my... Oh... No, I didn't. I didn't bump up my night that far. Sorry. I've been cheating the whole way through. Total pest finger. I know, I know. But if it's like, you see in BGG forums where people write in and say, listen, I've got a friend or part of our gaming group and they they cheat. They openly cheat. We've spotted them, but we don't want to say anything. That's just the wrong thing to do. If you see someone cheat, it's going to just ruin your experience every time you play with that person until it's addressed. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult conversation, but you address it with them, and either they take it on board and say, I'm sorry, that was a stupid thing to do, or they go away. But it makes your experience better, because you don't want to be playing with somebody who's actively cheating. A taxi backsies is a different thing. It's, it must be decided by the group, because you can't have a table where someone's placed, oh, hang on, hang on, I've, I've just put that, that worker there, but I really meant to put it over there, does anyone mind? If you've got one person who minds, then it doesn't happen in my book. If the, if the table agree, and I always agree, I've got no problem with it, because people make mistakes, they're thinking two steps ahead, and they're putting down a worker in the place they're thinking two steps ahead, and they go, oh, hang on, no, 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 I actually meant to go there, fine. If the game hasn't progressed too far, if it's not going to cause a massive load of people taking back things and putting money back and, and putting produce back, then fine, do it. But if one person objects, in my role, then that is, that it stays there.
1: So, we tend to agree on a taxi backsy policy, game-by-game game mm-hmm. <laughs> so there might be a game in which you could spend so long doing takes backsies and it unravels so much stuff that sometimes we just go there are zero back backsies especially in a learning game zero back backsies let's just play the game get through it learn it and then we'll worry about it next time but there are some games where we set a limit on the number of back backsies you can take because it's so complex that we presume everyone is going to have a big huge mistake at some point and say no oh, I've done that wrong can I please take it back yeah that's your one for the game cool You are talk about amongst friends here I did one the other day I played Lorenzo with the expansion my first turn went so poorly that I said I need to do a huge takesy-backsy here you can see I've clearly taken the wrong card I have all the bits for the other card no one's bought that other card right at the end of the round I'm gonna takesy-backsy it but I accept that I'm going to have a massive asterisk and I can't win this game. But otherwise, I'm going to be sitting here for an hour and a half having zero fun because I've missed a link in my engine and I'm just going to get nowhere. And everyone was cool with it. I came third out of four anyway, so it really made no difference. But that sort of thing, okay, as long as everyone agrees to it. I'll tell you the times when I'm not so good you back backsies. Firstly, if there's new information revealed. Someone does something, you flick a card, and suddenly they go, oh, I didn't mean to do that, I meant to do that. Uh, uh, you've seen the card, you've seen the next turn, there's been new information revealed, no way, you cannot take that back. But mostly, i will be less likely to let you take a taxi backsy if you've been flipping slow the whole game. Because you're wasting my time as it is, and now you want to waste more of our time doing Taxi Backseat. And if I think you haven't been thinking about your turn when it's not your turn, and suddenly it comes to you and you start going, Uh, um, uh, oh, all oh, right, yeah, oh, I'll just do this and then it occurs to you a minute later, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Well, do you know what? That minute of thinking, you had the time to do it. So do it in between turns, and then you won't even need to do the Taxi backseat. So if you're slow, I'll get stroppy about Taxi Baxi's.
0: You're a mean, mean spirit.
1: Sometimes perfect. I am. Sometimes I'm just, you know, especially I say slow play drives me crazy. I'm just like, no, mate, no. No, it took you this long to take one go. You can't take two. Okay,
0: right. Do you want to lead us into Terry's questions, Randy?
1: Has doing the podcast increased or decreased your enjoyment of attending game events, such as Essen, UK Games Expo, etc.?
0: This was a very, very good question from Terry, because it was very close to our heart. So (laughs) we have recently made a huge conscious effort to scale back... What we were doing at Essen, at the UK Games Expo, because it was actually ruining the shows to a large degree for us. We were so busy. I went for to you.
1: Essen. For you.
0: For me. <laughs> I went to Essen two years ago. I was collecting things for Rona, I was collecting things for myself, I was collecting things for Steve. I had loads of publishers to run around, collect games off that they had offered us. I had people to meet. And I literally, I didn't sit down and play a game for myself or at all even in the the two days I was at Essen. And it was just, it's too much. I I want to go to a games expo or an an Essen and I want to sit down. I want to try new games. I want things to catch my eye. So for me, I think I'm going to concentrate on fewer games so I can have that depth of review anyway and enjoy my time at those conventions more. And I think that's the way forward for me.
1: So I have a different perspective on it because I quite like to be task orientated and going there with a list of things to do and having a schedule quite often makes it more enjoyable for me. I'm like, right, great, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, I want to go there, I want to do that, I want to do this, I want to go there, we'll do this. At uh, the last lesson I think I drove Sean absolutely crazy, because he was trying to relax and see a couple of games and chill out, and I was like, I'm going here, I'm going there, i got appointment at one, I've got an appointment at two, da, 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 da. and we kind of split up, and that probably is the best way for us to work on the days that I've sort of set aside for doing podcast work, if you like, Sean. Right? It's like it's cool. I'll just whiz around and do all these things, and that makes me happy, and I get a sense of achievement and accomplishment. Yeah, but
0: even you pushed it too far. Oh, yeah, I a, did. Yeah, you yeah. have an appointment in Hall One at one o'clock. Yeah, which which lasts for twenty minutes, and the an appointment in Hall Seven for like one fifteen. Yeah. Unless you've got the thing that Hermione Granger had—the old time thing in very. Do you mean the
1: Time Turner,
0: Muggle? Time Turner indeed unless you've got that you ain't gonna get to them
1: yeah but i got to plenty of them let's not <laughs> worry about that in fact what they did the last lesson was create such a workload for after Essen that it was a burden and we do have to scale back and just go it's not realistic for us to cover that amount of games and we, we, we kind of temper what, what we pull in in terms of work to what we create what i think that it was too much last lesson and i and i need to get the balances that then also, I also enjoy meeting new people, connecting with people, sharing creators' work, getting to understand a bit more of the process and having the time to actually do that. And I think it's it's a balance whereby I am definitely will be spending some days doing the worky appointment thing, buzzing around, getting all that stuff done, I, but still making sure I allot some time for the more relaxed allowing yourself to discover things that you didn't know about and actually enjoy the show for itself as well so I think it's still a, a, an issue that we're balancing out but for me it has definitely overall increased my enjoyment being part of the podcast and being more involved in it rather than I say just being a visitor but you know be just being a visitor
0: I think once we reach that balance it will increase my enjoyment but yeah I've, I, the balance has been tipped a little bit in the last couple but we'll get there Okay, so Terry's second question and our last question of the episode is, have you ever flipped the table or what's the closest
1: you have come to flipping the table? So, in general, what i say is that I tend to take co-ops more seriously than I do competitive games. Uh, I said it before, I don't that often play to win so I am more likely to be grumpy and in a bit of a strop for, in a co-op game. I'd be more likely to be, ah, oh, we've lost it. Oh, God. Or, or why did you make that move? Oh, that was so clearly like, oh, we need you to do this, to set that up to do this. And that's when I could be a bit of a pain in the bum gaming on occasion in co-ops. Don't think I've ever got to put the flip in the table in terms of one of those. The closest I can ever think of doing it is on the multiple times that Sean has beaten me on a end of game hidden scoring card. Cause he is consistently <laughs> better at scoring end of game cards than I am. I, I think and he's well, he's no he's probably way past me now, but I used to be better at end game end turn rather big scoring where I'd set things up and on the final turn all the plans come to fruition. Here you are no no
0: me. you're still the master of that coming nah, from last, no, 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 last <laughs> <laughs> Last to first all the time is so frustrating. Yeah,
1: that that can happen. That can happen. Okay, mind you, I front ran a. There was water deep the other day and got told off for that as well.
0: <laughs> you get told off for it. It was just it was it was a done deal. <laughs> and you were trying to make it out like half the board away from us. Like no, no, still tight. Still tight. Still Shut tight. Up.
1: Don't want a mandatory quest. Still tight. Don't, get get your mandatory quest yourselves. That's fine, everyone. Um, but yeah, Sean. I know. Going into the final endgame score of this hidden scoring cards, he is likely to propel himself past me. And, and that that is possibly where I'm... At least the game's over. I'd be close to flipping a board in his direction and sh- littering him in gaming components.
0: I've never, ever come close to flipping a table. I lose my rag about once a year, and it's usually at like Ronan.
1: Once a year at me? Come on. <laughs> Not properly, like... Give me more credit than that. <laughs>
0: I get miffed at you more than once a year, but you <laughs> probably lose the rag and, like actually throwing buildings at you and stuff that's once a year
1: it's all part of the FUD.
0: i think the only things that really annoy me are like people's manners annoy me sometimes if they're talking over rules explanations or we're not paying attention the thing rather said as well not you're not prepared for your turn it does it, things like that irritate me there's certain types of games i get quite frustrated at like magic maze i mentioned before escape it kind of irritates me that kind of real time you have to have everyone together and it's all quite manic and people are looking at you to do things and you don't know what to do. And it, that kind of irritates me, but never I've never come close to flipping the table. Yeah, well, we're
1: usually quite calm. What I think for people who have never played with us before, especially if they only us to do the podcast, when they start playing with us, I think they might be quite surprised at the amount of uh, foul mouth abuse. That just gets thrown backwards and forwards between us constantly. And then it kind of surprises them because they expect that we're in a mood with each other and we're entirely not. It's just after said after thirty-nine years of being best friends and cousins, that's pretty much how we interact. It's just that just gets thrown. But every now and then I do catch people looking at us sort of agog, open mouth, like, what did you just call him? I've never heard Anyone called that in any circumstances in my life? Ah, no, he's all right. He just is one. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, okay, brings us to the end of all the questions and all the retrospectives. Apart from our final segment, which is going to be our top tens of 2013, looking back to the games, some of the games we covered back then, and what has stood the test of time, and what has not.
0: Mentioned, we are now going to do our top tens from 2013 when the game pits first started, and after that, we're going to do a little comparison because I've done my research. And in uh, episode 17, we a review of 2013 and we did a top 3 at the end of that so let's see if that's changed at all but Ronan do you want to start us off with your number 10 from 2013?
1: Well that number 3 is going to be a little bit of a surprise my number 10 was originally published in 2013 but I don't think it was necessarily available to us in 2013 it's the 2 player card game from Emperor S4 Hanamakoji in which you're playing from a limited hand of cards you've got 4 actions each each round and you need to choose an action in some way it's going to make you lay cards on a row of geishas on your own side attempting to have the majority of each color of cards for the geishas in order to win a certain amount in order to win the game fantastically tight brilliant fantastic decisions very small package 20 minutes of good grr groany mental wrestling sean
0: yeah, it was all right
1: <laughs> wrong Your number (laughs) ten. It was fine. It was fine. My
0: number ten is coconuts, where you're literally sitting with a plastic monkey who is going to flip little brown coconuts into beakers. If you manage to get it into the beaker, you claim that beaker for yourself. A lot of fun. Boy loves it. Adults love it. Yeah, coconuts is my number ten.
1: Uh, it's quite funny it's not 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 top 10 material shut up this didn't come close all right number nine however is a fantastic family game albeit for slightly older than coconuts it's Mysterium first came out from the Ukraine and has made its way across has now got a different set of rules in English although I almost entirely play with the original set of rules they've supported it with two expansions it's where a bit like dixit where you're laying getting cards from one person who's the ghost and you're trying to work out which clue they're trying to point you towards of a set of weapons and locations of people from these sort of abstracty surrealist sort of uh, dream cards that they've given to you a twist on dixit it's like the more gamely version like i say the newer english rules adding a load of nonsense and bluffing and guessing and guessing if someone's right it takes away a lot of the co-op aspect of it i really don't like them they're completely unnecessary play by the original rules just simplifies it makes it more fun a very strong family game that is constantly getting requested mysterium
0: yeah mysterium's been a bit hit and miss for me i think it's very group dependent when it goes well it's very good and if it doesn't go well it's a bit a bit draggy but yeah cool my number nine is nations we talked about Poria stuffing stuff in his pants into it earlier and here it is it's the uh, Civ building game with well, a slight bit of difference, it's more of an economy sort of a card game rather than this sprawling. Games like Civilization, Sid Meier's uh, Civilization, but very much in my wheelhouse, very much a game that I enjoy. Uh, no, you do too, Brandon.
1: I am reserving judgment on this. <laughs> so I'll move on to my number eight, which is another Civilization era spanning game, which does things slightly differently. Probably only this like because I haven't played it as often as I should have, and it's patch history which was a bit of an indie cultish sort of a hit in Essen a few years ago it's where you're building a layer upon layer of cards have different places for you to place resources on and you can get um different personalities from that time that give you special powers you can trade with each other you can go to wars there's a slight geographical aspect as to where the players are sitting plays very differently to most other games and a very strong game again one that's a little bit obtuse to get into but once you get into it you can start to see the pattern off it and a very strong civ game with a different twist patch history my number eight from 2013 yeah it was
4: one
0: of my also rands it very nearly got in there and i think i just ruled out because i hadn't played it really enough and it hadn't got to the table in the last probably couple of years but yeah i really do enjoy patch history my number eight is viticulture uh just Game about going making wine and selling wine. very good worker placement game, particularly with the Tuscany expansion, which really sort of fleshed it out and made it a lot more enjoyable. It was a slow burner for me, viticulture, but once it got there, it
1: stuck. There's a bunch of games come out about making wine, and I'd say it's one of the most off putting themes to me. I just can't <laughs> see anything interesting in it at all. Viticulture, however, is a very good, light, medium sort of a Euro. Couple of issues here and there. It wasn't perfect. Tuscany polished it up a little bit. I like it. It was a nearly top 10 one for me, mate. Cool. Speaking of Euros number seven is Russian Railroads. One of the things I love about it is quite thinky but there's a pattern to it. It doesn't hang around for too long. Works fantastically well as a quick two-player game. There's German Railroads and American Railroads out which adds different options and different maps. It's a system that for me has stood the test of time and one that has a a little niche in my heart. My number seven is Russian Railroad. I can't
0: remember exactly why but I really didn't take to this game. I think it was quite dry. I I think maybe I got absolutely spanked a few times but I really didn't enjoy the two or three games I played of Russian Railroad so it kind of just fell by the wayside for me
1: well you've had a hundred plus episodes of being wrong let's not change yeah, that now are well, you are number right. seven
0: my number seven is one we played fairly recently Roden. we dug it up and it's Francis Drake I really enjoyed this game it looks absolutely stunning and the hidden sort of targets and trying to get that set collection going and just even the movement mechanism when you're collecting things is quite interesting yeah it's It's a strong game still for me, Francis Drake.
1: I'm going to turn into Tom Vassell here, Sean. That was my number 11. (laughs) He says that to every top 10 they do. He's always got a number 11, and this this genuinely was my number 11. This was a hard one to leave out. Very much enjoy a game of Francis Drake. I don't think it's got unlimited replayability, that's all. That's probably what held it back a tiny bit.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Ronan, you're number six. Do you
1: know what has got unlimited replayability, but probably not best played with an incredible lack of sleep, very early morning in an airport. And that's the two-player
0: <laughs> the chess, chess-ish
1: chess game, The Duke. You're right. You did not have a good introduction to this game, but it is fantastic. I continue five years later to bang its drum and big it up. It's a brilliant two-player game. My number six is uh, The Duke. You know what? I'll just play chess, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Badly. My number six
0: is a game that I completely dismissed because I thought it looked ugly at Essen 2013. It's a merry-go, the Stefan Feld game with the cube tower, where it's completely, like, completely dependent on what cubes dropped, Then, then you choose your action selection, your gathering resources, uh, moving on and taking over island building on islands etc i've thoroughly enjoyed this one now ronan since i played it since i bought it we've played it we've reviewed it it got a quite positive review from us so amerigo has really shot up the ranks ronan.
1: i like it it's a good game I'll say there's slightly too few dead turns in which the cubes come out in a certain way, especially getting towards the end when your options are limited or what you actually want to do. When you look at it and you go, well, we're all going to do the same thing this time. Let's just do it quick and drop some more cubes and move on. So that's what stops it from being a top, top game, but it is still a good game. That was a decent choice. Okay, It's like two-player heaven for me in this top 10. So I've got another one at number five, another one with a slightly odd theme. Slightly odd gameplay. It's the asymmetrical cooperative, The Ravens of Three Sashiri. Sean loves to bang on about it whenever I (laughs) mention it, which is quite uh, often. It's about the, uh, the lady who's escaped from a house of pleasure and has gone into a coma from the trauma because her best friend died releasing her. And you are her time traveling detective friend who's attempting to put together her shattered psyche before the world-eating ravens can destroy everything and she ends up dying and in terms of gameplay it is played in silence in which one player is drawing cards and laying them out and the other player is the comatose young lady attempting to convey a pattern of cards that's required by removing cards from the other pattern that is being created by the other player very different to any other game i've ever played the unique marvelous the ravens of three Sashiri. yeah
0: mental theme sounds irritating pass i'm being quite miserable right people really loads of people going on about wrong. this i do every now and again claim that i'm going to play this but I, th- I can't get past it. i can't get my head around it so not for me but my number five is a straight up i don't want to say box standard because it's my number five from 2013 but it, it hits that mould of Euro right in the middle of Euro. It's Rococo. Uh, it's the game where you're the master dress builder and you're making dresses and outfits for the hoi the polloi in... France, I think I can't remember where it is, but uh, France, definitely (laughs) in France, (laughs) and uh, yeah, a bit of a bit of action selection going on, bit of economy going on, bit of hand management and deck building going on, lots of things that I love. I just think it's a very very solid, well manufactured Euro game, and that's why it's my number five, Rococo.
1: Yeah, another contender. I know already that I don't like it as much as you do possibly slightly down the great western trail path off you're doing a lot for not that much coming out at the end but that's maybe sounding more negative than i am towards the game a top 15 er of 2013 for me number four like many of these games is a game i have harped on about and it is theseus the two to four player puzzly battle science fiction themed game from Michael Orash in which you take the place of a faction which is a set of cards and you'll move a Mankala style around a space station with different sectors in it. When you go to different sectors you may trigger traps or attack other people or get your own cards into play and you might play as a, a faction that wants to gather data you might be an all-out attack faction you might be a balance between the two you might be marines that are using guns or aliens that are crawling through the walls or robots that are using the space station itself to attack you it's got lots of variety it's thinky but it's fun it's thematic it's combative it is another one that's slightly different to other games i've played and that is theseus my number four from 2013
0: well i definitely avoided games of this for a long long time and quite recently ronan you finally cornered me Slapped me across the head with the box, we played it and you know what? I enjoyed it. It was it was a good game. Maybe if I had a few more games under my belt, it might creep into my sort of top 15. But yeah, good choice.
1: Thank you very much. Sean, your number four?
0: My number four, Ronan, it, it just shows you what a strong year it is that this is my number four. He's Concordia. It's a game I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, it's quite dry, but the deck building aspect and the hand management aspect and the cleverness of it, is just, it just sings to me. I really, really enjoy this game as Concordia.
1: I totally missed that Concordia is a 2013 game. I've probably messed that up, but yeah. No, no, I just checked. It is a 2013 game. Oh, did I <laughs> <Okay. laughs> totally that. missed that entirely. I don't... Yeah. Uh, bad, I can only but... say my entire top 10 is null and void wow <laughs> where would that go uh, it, it's it's going to be a top 5 somewhere that's a 3.5 shall we call it yeah it's got to be oh I can't how I miss that what an eejit uh, um, <laughs> really good game as you can tell by my shock that I completely missed it out yeah love it really good euro game that's slightly different spatial aspect it is slightly interactive that drive prices up by going certain places works with different player counts of different maps just yeah very strong great choice your number three runner. my number three was your number nine Sean, and it's our very first crossover if you don't count concordia and it's nations <laughs> yeah it's the sieve card game we've reviewed it we've we've done a pit fight with it we've done all sorts still very good nations the dice game is a decent little game as well the expansions help both of them and again another one that's slightly different you have to think in a slightly different way when you're building your nation nothing is permanent and you're deciding all the time you can, you can slightly change the balance of what you've done by taking a different advisor or by changing up one uh, card to another you're never stuck down a certain path so i really like nations for the flexibility you can have as well as having an overall strategy
0: yeah it's a very very good game my number- three is dungeon command now this was right up there in my like top 50 of all time like, I'm, like number one or two for a long long time i really enjoy this game it's a very clever combat skirmish miniatures game always has a tight finish always has those moments that you talk about afterwards or oh, i have just done that or oh, i can't believe that character didn't die and i can't believe that happened just yeah very clever system doesn't get the love it deserves in my opinion that's dungeon command
1: yeah a game that i enjoy never had the love that sean had for it but very much enjoy the games of it not an area of gaming that i particularly love tactical miniature fighting on a map game but a very good sort of entry into there if you were thinking of looking at stuff like I don't know Malifaux or Age of Sigma where it's probably a bit deeper this might be one you can start off with because it's been simplified for you uh, it's much more card driven however it's slightly different but but yeah a very good game Sean again another good choice my number two is a co-op that I've always loved pretty sure Sean has not got it in this top ten it's Forbidden Desert the much tougher sequel to Forbidden Island about attempting to find your crashed airship in a desert while storm rages and you're constantly being drained of water requires real team play from the different players and the different roles and communication and a bit of luck and management of that changing storm and knowing when and where to use a special equipment when to take shelter a real challenge of a co-op and i really do enjoy a difficult co-op so this sings to me from my wheelhouse sean number two forbidden Desert
0: yeah it's a very good game uh, forbidden island was something that we have good memories of playing around at your house with the girls and i've got it in waiting for james when he's old enough to really kind of grasp it and yeah forbidden desert was a step up from that i haven't really played it that much so i couldn't really say it's in my top uh, top anything really i think i've played once or twice but yeah certainly a good game and my number two is Firefly I banged on about this I've had my arguments <laughs> with people about Firefly yes it's nonsense yes there's not that many tight mechanics in it but for an enjoyable experience that does reflect the TV series and give you the feel for the TV series I think it's second to none it's absolutely hilarious I mentioned before especially playing with Rodan. I love a pick up and deliver game anyway and Firefly is my favourite of that type so yeah love the TV show love the game Firefly. it's
1: fun and i love the theme but i can't claim that it's a great game but it is yeah, a lot of fun so i've rated it quite highly because of the experience fair enough right ronan Your number one is your number one it is <laughs> i don't think we need to talk about it for too long it was already been mentioned four or five times in the episode sean is eldritch horror it is eldritch horror yes of course marvelous game.
0: my number one of all time so
1: course, it's my number one in 2013. And in my top 10. You know we love it. We won't talk about it anymore. Just a brilliant, fun, thematic, tough co-op that has got obviously so many options now with so many expansions, and we have them all, and we play it regularly, and just a really fantastic game that made our vault recently, so you know all about it. Right,
0: should we go back to 2013 and do this comparison, Ronan? Go for it. Right, so your number three was Lewis and Clark oh
1: good game haven't played it in a long time definitely faded out of rotation yeah it
0: was definitely a game that you were very excited about at the time i think it's probably lasted a bit longer in my household because natalie's a big fan of it and we we played it quite recently and i really enjoy it it's probably a top 15 but yeah not quite
1: i could see that making a comeback if i was to get it
0: out my number three i thought would be in your top 10 this time around i don't i don't think you've played it enough is invaders
1: uh yeah that'll be an issue of not having played it enough I And mean, think keep yeah. meaning to got the new expansion that came out in s in 2017 it's supposed to be being covered in my two-player episode with rachel good game very good game
0: you're number two and you have matched it exactly this time round, Ronan, Is forbidden desert nice classic well done well done my number two i have not matched because it is nowhere near my top ten. It's Rampage or Terror in Legal City, as they ridiculously no, no. named it. <laughs> I still have fun with this, because my boy loves it. Uh, it's just a, a silly fun, especially for a child. But, yeah, the, the novelty wore off after a little while for me with Rampage. It, it was fun for a while it lasted, though.
1: Yeah, nothing really to it, mate.
0: No. And your number one, Ronan, was The Duke. Mm, number six now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see he, it. He's still He's still hanging around. I know, you, you, you've always been a big fan. At that time, you were properly into it. So, yeah. Fair I way. probably
1: just had more plays in at the time. And yeah. it's kind of hard to get people to play. I've played, played with Rachel, but because I knew it a bit, I think i will beat her a couple of times. It might have been a mistake. Yeah. And it's not really getting really her style. It's mm, Anyway. And my number one was the only one that features in my
0: top 10 now is Francis Drake.
1: Yeah. Again, yeah. good, solid game. My number 11. Well, number 12, if you bring Corn into it, but who's (laughs) going? You mop it. Can't think you did (laughs) that. Right. Sean, we'll see everyone for the outro next.
0: okay there we have it a rather long episode 100 what long in arriving and long in the making so
1: yeah keeping the theme there and why not it's been a long journey <laughs> thank you so much to everyone who's been on it with us whether you join us in episode one god help you or in episode 100 and whatever in between thank you so much we really appreciate all your support all your downloads all your listens you make this a very satisfying and fun thing for us to do please join us for the next hundred and whatever episodes or however many we decide to make sure
0: however many indeed so things coming up as we said we we do have a few reviews lined up we do have the big review of 2017 yet to come and ronan has got his two-player extravaganza with rachel coming up Oh, that
1: might be next it might not it might be i've got a, i've got a solo game. One in the works where we're going to be covering Spirit Island, Dragonfire, Runes of Thunder, Hero Realm solo mode. Uh, there's other stuff. Arkham Noir and Seven of the Continent talking about as a solo experience. There's that coming up. Plus, we're supposed to have guests on. But again, it's all been knocked sideways by all the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Also, a point of business, we ran a giveaway for the Brazilian edition of coup we're aware there is a winner we didn't necessarily want to roll it into this one because such a long episode so in the next episode we will announce the winner and we'll get that in the post to you apologies for whoever wins the draw because we haven't done it yet and uh, apologies to everyone else for not announcing it like I say it's been a bit hectic in the past few weeks we're getting back on track thank you for your patience and we have got more games and expansions lined up as giveaways coming up in the next few weeks so do tune in
0: very good and as always we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download the episodes we're on Podbean iTunes and Stitcher we we also have a board game geek guild pop along there it's one of the best places for us to interact with you if you wish to email us we are the game pit podcast at gmail.com we have social media we've got a twitter account at game pit podcast we have a facebook account and we have a fully functional instagram account thanks to natalie and occasionally myself and we also have our youtube channel please go there for the continuation hopefully soon of our pit stop videos thank you so much for listening music by e aaron Celebrate episode 100, boy, Boy.
3: boy.